there, and welcome to Pick 6 Movies. You know, the podcast where we select a theme each season, and then we pick six movies that are all related to that theme. And then on each episode, we take one of those movies and provide history behind how that movie was made. And then after that, we provide a detailed review of the entire movie filled with jokes and nonsense. Hmm. Oh, you know, it's that podcast that's hosted by me, Chad Cooper. Oh, and I'm joined by my lifelong pal, Mr. Bo Ransdell. That Pick 6 Movies podcast? Uh, You know what? Maybe this will jar your memory. The current season is Bonds, James Bonds, where we're taking on one James Bond movie from each of the actors who have portrayed the character James Bond over the last 60 years. Is any of this ringing a bell? Well, this is episode five of season 13, and Pierce Brosnan is stepping into the role of 007. He's handsome, suave, rugged, manly. He's everything you could ask for in a James Bond. And this episode features the film Die Another Day, where Pierce Brosnan stars alongside Academy Award-winning actress Halle Berry, and John Cleese fully takes over as Q. There's invisible cars and space lasers and hovercraft battles and sword fights and plane crashes, and it's all very underwhelming. This is, of course, Pick 6 Movies. You know, the podcast that mostly discusses movies that aren't very good. You know what? I'll tell you what. Let's get Bowen here to introduce us to Die Another Day and perhaps the dulcet tones of Bo Ransdell's velvety voice will make your hippocampus perk up and say, Hey, I remember this podcast. It's fantastic. I should write a glowing online review and recommend it to all my friends as it is an absolute delight bringing joy and happiness unto the world that is an otherwise bleak and dreary place to be these days. Bo... What say you get in here and give these fine listeners something to smile about? And then later we'll address the unpleasantries of A Die Another Day. Bo, uh, take it away. In Die Another Day, the subject of this episode, Miranda Frost calls James Bond a womanizer. We've made the same accusation on this very show, but perhaps it would do to put a finer point on the idea Just how many people has James Bond had sex with? And while we're at it, what's all the fuss about being a Bond girl anyway? Trumpet guy, give me some 60s. From the very beginning, Ian Fleming liked his female sidekicks. While they are all different in name and origin, there is a statistical mean to be found in Fleming's work. On the whole, the typical literary Bond girl is in her 20s, roughly a decade younger than the prose representation of James Bond. They are typically white, with blue eyes, they do not wear a lot of jewelry or makeup, and their hair is described as being natural, generally shoulder length in style. They are beautiful, naturally, with wide features. Their wardrobe is typically more masculine, their demeanor aggressive and no-nonsense. Typically, their names employ double entendre, such as Holly Goodhead and Xenia Onatop. They are achievers in most cases, often in fields typically dominated by men, like scientists and spies. Many have had sexual violence in their past, at least until James Bond enters the picture and loves them upright. This amalgam of traits and appearances served as a rough template for the cinematic equivalent, with 1962's Dr. No 
the world would be introduced to the first Bond girl, Ursula Andress. It's worth further defining what it means to be a Bond girl. Within these movies, there are four general categories of women who could be described as Bond girls, and some of the roles will tick a couple of boxes. There are the random sexual partners, you know, those girls who pilot the sub and get stuck with Bond on a five-day tour of geriatric lovemaking. Then there are the sidekicks, the jinxes of the cinematic universe, the characters who will aid Bond in his adventures, and the sex, of course. Third are the femme fatales, the women who may at first glance appear to be sidekicks, but later reveal themselves to be villainesses, like a Miranda Frost. Some of these villains still manage to get a little time in the sheets with double O positive. And finally, we have the poor souls who have sex with James only to die horribly and perhaps incite a need for revenge or propel Bond deeper into intrigue. The Masterson sisters from Goldfinger fit this bill nicely. Now that we have our science all set, let's dive into these movies, sexcapade by sexcapade, and decade by decade, shall we? Now, before beginning his adventure in Dr. No, Bond has a quickie with Sylvia Trench, as played by Eunice Grayson in Dr. No. Before beginning his adventure, Bond has a quickie with Sylvia Trench, as played by Eunice Grayson in Dr. No. She was intended to be a regular girlfriend for Bond in London, but only made it to the second film. Sylvia Trench, Category 1 Bond girl, just here for the banging. Miss Taro, in the same film, is a double agent working for Dr. No, a surefire villainess who makes time with our hero. But it's Honey Ryder that is our real star. She is pure sidekick, an orphan who makes her living shell diving. Despite the fact that Ursula Andress's lines were dubbed in the film, the movie made her a star. She was the first to credit the film and the white bikini she wore as instrumental to her fame. Next up, From Russia With Love. We have a return of Sylvia Trench, but that's just sex, baby. Beat it, toots. There is a heavy implication that Bond also had a three-way with some gypsy girls in the movie, but the deal was definitely sealed with his videotape sex with Tatiana Romanova, played in the flesh by Daniela Bianchi, while her voice was dubbed by Barbara Jefford. This wouldn't be the only time Bianchi flirted with Connery. Neil Connery, that is. That's right. Daniela Bianchi, Italian actress and fashion model, also appeared in a Bond spoof movie called Operation 007, which starred Sean Connery's brother, Neil. She was once more dubbed for this spoof movie on account of being so Italian. Now, Bond slips from the arms of Tatiana Romanova to the balcony of Jill Masterson, as seen right here on Pick 6 Movies in our discussion of Goldfinger. After she gets the gold treatment, Bond, of course, assaults and woos Pussy Galore, as played by Honor Blackman. More on that in that previous episode. Now, after converting a lesbian to the straight side, Bond then blackmails a nurse into having sex with him in a steam room in Thunderball. Patricia is dyed-in-the-wool random sex girl, but it's villainous Fiona Volpe that shows him a thing or two about rustling the sheets in the Bahamas. But she's not the main Bond girl. That honor goes to Domino Vitale, portrayed by French actress Claudine Auger. They have disgusting ocean sex, which Bond caps by saying, quote, I hope we didn't frighten the fish. Ugh. Also put a pin in the name Domino, you're gonna hear it again. Another villainess named Helga Brandt is next to Bed Bond in You Only Live Twice, though she believes she's having sex with someone named Fisher. And then there's Aki, 
the fellow secret agent, and obvious sidekick. Unfortunately, she ends up being poisoned, and Bond ends the movie with his pretend Japanese wife, Kissy Suzuki. Can you believe they made 19 more of these? So Aki was played by Akiko Wakabayashi and Kissy by Miehama, who had previously acted together in the amazing King Kong vs. Godzilla. Rounding out the 1960s is the Australian Bond in On Her Majesty's Secret Service. The preeminent Bond girl of the film is, of course, the late great Diana Rigg as Tracy DiVincenzo. In fact, this is the first Bond girl to put a ring on it, but she gets shot in the head at the end of the movie, so Bond's free to bed his way through the 70s. Also, he adds a couple of notches to his belt with Sleep Institute patients, Ruby and Nancy, having sex with both of them on the same night. I'm telling you, that guy is on pills. More on Rig in this movie on our second episode of this season, naturally. Trumpet guy, it's time for some 70s. Let's get some brassy funk in here. Yeah, that's the stuff. Connery briefly returns to the role in 1971's Diamonds Are Forever, in which Connery flirts heavily with a character named Plenty O'Toole, played by Natalie Wood's sister, Lana, who still occasionally pops up in B-movies. Plenty, ugh, fits our sacrificial lamb model well, what with being thrown out a window and all. It's Tiffany Case, who's the main Bond girl here, played by Jill St. John, who is in a ballet company with Lana's sister, Natalie Wood, and Stephanie Powers. Stephanie Powers would later star with Robert Wagner in Heart to Heart, the detective show where they played rich detectives, while both Jill St. John and Natalie Wood would marry Wagner. Natalie Wood, of course, died under somewhat questionable circumstances, but Jill St. John is still married to Robert Wagner as of this recording and isn't drowned at all. After the relatively chaste goings-on of Diamonds Are Forever, it was time to go for more, Roger Moore, in Live and Let Die. In this film, Bond checks up with Carusi, an Italian agent, Rosie Carver, who would count as both villainous and a potential sacrificial lamb, as she is murdered for her relationship with Bond. Gloria Hendry, the actress behind Rosie Carver, is considered the first African-American Bond girl. But it is Solitaire who gets center stage in Live and Let Die. She's a virginal young girl with the power of second sight and the ability to read tarot cards. That is, until Bond tricks her with a stack deck of tarot cards and deflowers her which zaps her powers. Jane Seymour is probably best known as Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, but when Live and Let Die hit, the movie catapulted her into stardom. Nothing like being a famously deflowered virgin to raise your Q levels, I guess. She became a major star because of the Bond movies, the first on our list to showcase a real longevity in the business at a very high level. The next go-round was The Man with the Golden Gun. Bond gets frisky with a character who ticks a lot of our boxes, Andrea Anders, as played by Maude Adams. Anders is a right hand to the villain, Scaramanga, which makes her sort of a villain too, as well as a sexual conquest. But getting shot puts her in sacrificial lamb category too. Boy, she can do it all. Maude Adams got a huge boost to her career from the Bond films, but it fizzled after only a decade or so. Not so our main Bond girl, Mary Goodnight, a.k.a. Swedish actress Britt Eklund. Eklund was renowned for a number of reasons. First, she had a highly public marriage to comedian Peter Sellers. She was already a sex symbol thanks to her turn with Michael Caine in Get Carter, 
and had just appeared in one of the great folk horror films, The Wicker Man. Being a Bond girl sidekick was only another arrow in her quiver of fame. She appeared in films through the 80s, then onto stage and television, and she's still working now. The Spy Who Loved Me gave us some anonymous hookups with a Russian in Austria and some harem girl in Egypt. These are meaningless flings compared to Anya Amasova, also known as Agent Triple X. Yes, that's real and very dumb. She's a KGB agent who has to work alongside Bond and naturally beds him by the end. Barbara Bach took on the role of the beautiful spy, and she was fairly famous in her day. Now she's most famous for having been married to Ringo Starr for 40 years and working with him on his Lotus Foundation charity. You know, good for them. She described the character of Bond as, quote, a chauvinist pig who uses girls to shield him against bullets, end quote. I like her. Let's round out the 70s with Moonraker, a movie that almost ended up on our show for sheer stupidity. First, Bond hooks up with the villain, Drax's helicopter pilot, Corinne DeFore, and then has a quickie with Manuela, a lady in Rio, by asking her, how do you kill five hours in Rio if you don't samba? Answer, screw! But our primary Bond girl is Holly Goodhead, and double ugh. Actress Lois Childs was tasked with that moniker. She was a good actress and former model, but her career was derailed when she took a break from the business to be with her brother in the early 80s as he struggled with cancer. After his death, she returned to acting, but never got the plum role she did in the 70s again. I remember her most as the driver stalked by an undead hitchhiker in Creepshow 2. She mostly teaches acting now, but she is the first actress to play a character Bond had sex with in space. Alright, trumpet guy, synth up those tones. It's the 80s and we're down with the Bond ladies. First up, for your eyes only. Moore is still in the saddle as Bond as the decade opens, and he two-fists the ladies in this one. First, Countess Liesel von Schlaff, who is very quickly run down by a car. Anyone for a sacrificial lamb? Bond's true Mrs. Right Now is Melina Havelock, daughter of a murdered marine archaeologist who also has underwater sex with James Bond. Carol Bouquet shows up as Havelock, and she is a legitimate star, though not so much in the United States. While her career never took off stateside, she has worked consistently and won a couple of Césars, or French Oscars, for her roles in film. She was even one of the jurors at Cannes once. For Bouquet, being a Bond girl was a brief detour in a career that was hardly defined by one role. Next, in the unfortunately titled Octopussy, Bond hooks up with Magda, an agent of Octopussy, as well as the Queen Octopussy herself, as played by returning Bond girl Maud Adams. Welcome back, sorry about the name. And then Moore's final turn came with 1985's A View to a Kill, covered on this very show. Bond sexually imprisons a submarine captain, Kimberly Jones, gets rocked by a villainess, Mayday, tickles Tchaikovsky's with a Russian spy, Pola Ivanova, before settling down with primary Bond girl, Tanya Roberts as Stacy Sutton. Because of how creepy it was that an old man was having sex with all these women, Moore was ditched in the next movie for Timothy Dalton in The Living Daylights. But first, let's take a quick detour to Connery Station, where the venerable actor turned up in Never Say Never Again. While not part of the Eon canon, there are two Bond girls of note in this Remora of the Bond series. Kim Basinger appears as Domino Patachi, 
a reinterpretation of Domino Durval. As this is a remake of Thunderball, Basinger's Domino is closer to that of the novel, but otherwise serves the same function as sidekick and even potential life mate. There is some suggestion at the end of the movie that Domino and Bond end up together. Also appearing Barbara Carrera as Fatima Blush, the sadomasochistic specter agent. Her peak came before Never Say Never Again when she appeared in 1981's Condor Man, a Pixix favorite. She actually had a very long career, but is retired from acting now. Bassinger is the more famous to be sure, having gone on from Never Say Never Again to win an Academy Award for LA Confidential. She used Never Say Never Again in a well-timed Playboy pictorial released at the same time as the movie to catapult her into the popular consciousness. In a couple of years, she would do Nine and a Half Weeks and then Tim Burton's Batman, and now she's a complete movie star, down to a famous marriage to Alec Baldwin for many years. And she still works today and is an ardent activist for animal rights. Not too shabby, Kim. Now back to Timothy Dalton, he first literally drops in on Linda, aka a lady who's got Bond parachutes onto. After their role on the sea, Bond settles down with Mariam Daavo's Kara Malovi, another in a line of Russian spies Bond diddled. He does have a type. Mariam Dabo is a cousin of Olivia Diabo from The Wonder Years and brother to Mike Dabo, a member of the band Manfred Mann. She's mostly known for her roles in B-movies, but Miriam was one of the producers on a documentary called Bond Girls Are Forever and co-authored a book by the same name. More than anyone we're going to talk about on this list, Miriam Diabo seems to have embraced the title of a Bond girl and worked to solidify that moniker. Dalton bowed out of the series with The Living Daylights, where he had two actresses that could easily be counted as Bond girls, Carrie Lowell as Pam Bouvier and Talisa Soto as Lupe Lamora. We covered this movie on the show, of course. Lowell still performs, but Talisa Soto seems to have retired from acting after marrying fellow actor Benjamin Bratt. But we're up to the 90s, so that means some nasty, grungy trumpet. Give it to me good, trumpet guy. Pierce Brosnan steps into the polished leather shoes of James Bond with golden eye. While he only gets down with one woman in this movie, a real stunner of a move for this series, there are two Bond girls of note. First, his amour, Natalia Semenova. Isabella Skorupko was, like many of the Bond girls, a model first. While she's appeared in a handful of films, she is most famous for a hit cover of the song Shame, 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 first recorded by the band Shirley and Company in the 70s. More interesting is the villainous Bond does not have sex with, Xenia Onatop. Famke Jansen was a Dutch model when she first began acting. She had a bit part in a memorable Star Trek episode before starring opposite Jeff Goldblum in a movie no one has ever heard of called Fathers and Sons. But when Famke Jansen became Xenia Onatop, she also became a star. As the woman who derives sexual pleasure from murder, her beauty and sadism make her a perfect character in the Bond universe and Jansen rocked the part. No ifs, ands, or muscular butts. She was magnetic, but quickly steered away from similar roles, working with the likes of Woody Allen to prove she was more than a pretty face and powerful thighs. Of everyone in this list, Famke Jansen is the actress who became and stayed a star as a result of her work in the franchise. Tomorrow Never Dies ups the booty count as Bond hooks up with Danish professor Inga Bergstrom, gets it on with an old flame by the name of Paris Carver, 
and seals the deal with Y. Lin at the end of the movie. Paris Carver was played by Terry Hatcher, who was quite well known by the time she appeared in Tomorrow Never Dies. She made her name as the woman with the real and spectacular breasts on Seinfeld, then became Lois on Lois and Clark, that Superman show that was somehow really popular. After Bond, Hatcher became one of the Desperate Housewives and is now insanely wealthy and mostly bakes and writes for Glamour magazine. Michelle Yao, Mei Lin in this film, has more of a debt to the Bond films. A Malaysian actress, Yao would work in Hong Kong action films with Jackie Chan before she came to America for her role in this movie. Brosnan liked Yao and admired her desire to do all of her own stunts, which is what you do when you work with Jackie Chan though she was not allowed to do many for insurance reasons. She was a star, after all. After appearing in Tomorrow Never Dies, Yao was tapped by Ang Lee for Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and she's been a star ever since. She's received accolades for her action performances and her dramatic turns, including in the recent Crazy Rich Asians. Serena Scott Thomas kicks off the sexual conquest of The World Is Not Enough as, are you kidding me, Dr. Molly Warmflash. And she gives a clean bill of health to Bond after a particularly thorough exam. Surprise villainous Electra King is played by Sophie Marceau, while surprise nuclear scientist Denise Richards is, ugh, this movie, Dr. Christmas Jones. One can only presume Serena Scott Thomas lost some kind of a bet to her older sister, Kristen Scott Thomas, to do a throwaway part like this. Sophie Marceau was a star in France and had just found more international acclaim as Mel Gibson's wife. Remember when he was a legitimate actor and director? Anyway, in the movie Braveheart. But The World Is Not Enough did her no harm in solidifying her growing stardom. That was not the path for Denise Richards. Richards got notice in several television appearances and then with Paul Verhoeven's Starship Troopers and Pick Six favorite Wild Things. See Season 6, Episode 4 for that one. So this should have been the booster rocket to propel her into superstardom. Only, she wasn't very good in it, and became a punchline for critics who disliked the movie, and Richards in particular. While she has remained viable as an actress on television, she'd never get another role in a movie as big as Bond. Or Wild Things, for that matter. Alright, it's the 2000s now, so let's scot up, trumpet guy. We will get into the production of Die Another Day in a moment, but let's begin by saying that it is Brosnan's last turn as Bond in a movie that suffered greatly from the weariness of the campy Bond formula. Another pair of Bond girls for Brosnan to woo in this one, including villainess Miranda Frost, played by Rosamund Pike, and Jinx, a role famously filled by Holly Berry, sidekick and villainess. Rosamund Pike was little known before Die Another Day, but had established a good body of work beforehand and continued to do so. Her breakout really came with Ben Affleck's Gone Girl, for which she won a Saturn Award and was nominated for an Oscar. Halle Berry was a big get for the franchise, and she wanted to do it. She was already a movie star before she ever got offered the part of Jinx, and would win an Oscar for Monster's Ball. She has spoken about Die Another Day as a way to keep herself out there after getting the Academy Award, and was still a couple of years away from Catwoman, which would stall her career though not entirely crater it. As Jinx in this 20th Bond film, she would emerge from the surf like Ursula Andress, and she would become an icon of Bond girldom. If the movie weren't so bad, maybe she would have been. 
Instead, Halle Berry left Bond behind and has remained an actress and now a producer. And lately she's turned up in some action roles like John Wick 3 and is even set to direct a movie of her very own. So, no harm, no foul. After Die Another Day, Bond was recast with the only successful recipient of a human head giant thumb surgery, Daniel Craig. With Casino Royale, Bond is a one-woman man. And who could blame him when his steady is Ava Green as Vesper Lind? She initially turned down the part in 2005, but that was before there was a script and all Ava Green knew was that the part was a Bond girl. As an actress who was quickly gaining notoriety for performances in Bernardo Bertolucci's The Dreamers and Ridley Scott's Kingdom of Heaven, Green didn't want to be known for the TNA associated with Bond. But when director Martin Campbell came to her with a more substantive script, Green was in and snagged a couple of awards for a performance along the way. She's gone on to carve a very interesting career for herself, picking oddball and challenging roles, and always killing it. Vesper sadly dies, which makes way for, this again, Strawberry Fields. At least it's not Cherry Thighs or Labia Glistens. Gemma Arterton is Strawberry Fields, an MI6 agent fighting alongside Bond. Arterton was launched by the film into worldwide attention and has proven to be a fine actress. If you've never seen it, I can't recommend The Disappearance of Alice Creed enough unless you want to be happy. Though his penis never enters her, Camille Montez, as portrayed by Olga Kurylenko, makes for a fine example of Bond girldom. Out for vengeance, she becomes an ally to Bond in her search for justice. Kurylenko was of course a model before her Bond appearance, but has managed to make a career of it, working with such greats as Terry Gilliam and Armando Iannucci. And now on to the 2010s, trumpet guy, let's make this one a dance hit. In 2012, Bond returned in Skyfall and immediately has sex with a random beach girl, but that's before he meets sexual assault survivor Severine, who he sneaks up on for shower sex. Not traumatic at all, I'm sure. Severine is Bernice Marlowe, a French actress still pretty new to the scene. The future for her in the wake of Bond is largely unwritten, though she has continued to work in film even with a great like Terrence Malick, although nothing quite so big as Skyfall. And it's worth including Eve Moneypenny here. While she and Bond don't have intercourse, she plays a more active role as sidekick in this movie. Naomi Harris appeared in 28 Days Later and a couple of those Pirates of the Caribbean movies, so she's no neophyte, but Skyfall and later roles in Moonlight and Rampage are certainly raising her Hollywood stock. The final Bond film as of this recording is Spectre, the subject of our finale. Lego head on human shoulders Daniel Craig first hooks up with Monica Bellucci as Lucia Chiara, the widow of an assassin he killed before settling down in the movie with Dr. Madeline Swan. Bellucci is, of course, a world-famous actress and model, and if you've never seen Gaspar Noé's Irreversible, you probably shouldn't, but it is a showcase for Monica Bellucci's genuine acting chops. Lea Seydoux is another in the stable of French actresses who find a home in Bond movies. Seydoux is one of those actresses who seems inevitable. She was already on the rise with her work in French cinema, and then as an assassin in Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, and then in Inglorious Bastards. While Spectre may be her biggest Hollywood film, her turn as Emma in Blue is the Warmest Color is astounding. Also, that is the movie that taught me what lesbian sex is like. Graphically.
And speaking of graphic, what about this movie? Not only was Die Another Day the 20th movie in the venerable franchise, it was released on the 40th anniversary of Dr. No. It was a surefire hit, and it was, financially speaking, at least until Casino Royale, this was the highest grossing film in the franchise. So why does it feel like such a failure? Part of the problem, I argue, is the weird tone. This was the first Bond movie released after the events of the 9-11 attacks on the World Trade Center. Also, movies like The Bourne Identity were out, and the Mission Impossible movies had taken on a darker and more realistic tone, and Die Another Day does too for the first half hour or so. Sure, there's crazy stuff with hovercrafts, but it also features James Bond being captured and tortured by North Korean soldiers. For a moment, it feels as if this could be a bold new direction for Bond, one more in keeping with the times. And then invisible cars appear, or rather disappear, and James Bond surfs down a glacier. Brosnan was no fan of Die Another Day, calling it, quote, so ridiculous, unquote. His exit is unmistakably financial. He asked for a lot of money and the producers didn't want to pay it. But one wonders if Brosnan set his fee exceptionally high on purpose. He certainly seems to be having no fun in this movie. He does recount the moment he found out he was no longer going to be James Bond with some fondness. He was on the phone with Barbara Broccoli and Michael Wilson. Barbara was crying, he said, and Michael stoically said to him, You were a great James Bond. Thank you very much. Brosnan replied, Thank you very much. Goodbye. And that was it. But Halle Berry who adored the idea of being in a Bond film, was eager to continue. In fact, after the financial success of Die Another Day, Barbara Broccoli and Michael Wilson, and the screenwriters of this stinkfest, conceived of a spinoff film with Jinx as its focus. It was envisioned as a secondary series they could run in off years to the Bond films, sort of a Bond cinematic universe where one of these is always coming out. Only MGM pulled the plug, infuriating the producers. Halle Berry credits the cancellation of her Jinx movie as the reason she did Catwoman. She wanted to see a black woman as an action hero, and she was going to do it no matter how bad that movie was. I would also not tell Pam Greer that you want to be the first black action hero. So MGM decided that the sillier Bond was done, and they would turn their attention to Easter Island gift shop replica on a man's body, Daniel Craig. But we're going to stay right here, in the depths of Pierce Brosnan's last performance as Bond. How could it be bad if it made so much money? Can Halle Berry save it in a supporting role as the only good spot? And what is up with this mask anyways? For answers to this and more, we need Chad in here. Ladies and gentlemen, Gustafs and Moons. It's 2002's Die Another Day. Trumpet guy, flourish me. Well, hey there, everyone. Welcome back to Pick 6 Movies. I, of course, am the host, one of the hosts, Bo Ransdell. Uh, with me, as ever, is the the double O to my zero. <laughs> Referencing maybe the worst joke of the movie. Chad Cooper, how are you? I'm doing well, Bo. Actually, I'm not. My life be a wreck, Bo. 
I mean, I open up the windows or the front door. The world's on fire. I come inside. I turn on the computer. It's on fire. And then I go to watch this movie thinking this will make me feel a little bit better. And it it, did the opposite. It was awful. Have you learned nothing from these James Bond movies, Chad? (laughs) These movies are not here to make you feel better. They're here to bore you to submission. And by the time it's over, you're like, James Bond will return. And you're like, God damn it. I swear to God, if you people put me through this again, I'm going to find out where you live and i'm gonna i'm gonna beat up your children <laughs> in front of you i am personally boycotting broccoli and cauliflower just by association look we're we're almost at the end of our look at the bond films and we're taking a pit stop here in brosnan town oh yes or should i say mm, yes he is a real smooth talker mm, this yes. guy is mm, <sighs> yes. Uh, yes here's the thing though I think of everyone we've seen, this is going to sound like sacrilege, but I don't give a shit. This is my favorite James Bond performance so far. Oh my God. I know. All right. You know what? You like what you like. (laughs) I just, this feels like the James Bond I have in my head most of the time, except for when he gets rapey. But I do think that this is in terms of James Bond movies, it's fairly globetrotting. It's got the gadgets. It's got all the girls. It feels like a... A prototypical mm-hmm. James Bond film. Except I like the guy who's playing James Bond. I think cer- he's certainly younger than Grandpa for. <laughs> from the Roger Moore days and he seems to be a little more suave than Timothy Dalton who looked like he staggered his way onto the set of a James Bond film he feels like the Barbie doll version of James Bond to me I mean he looks the part he kind of sounds the part but I always felt that Pierce Brosnan's performance as James Bond was a little almost a little too perfect and in a way like he was sort of just going through the motions he didn't bring his own personal style stamp to it it's like when you go to see a stage production of a christmas carol like it's like well kind of give people what they want in your performance of ebenezer scrooge he's just sort of playing just regular old vanilla james bond roger moore was old and creepy but like that's his style when you think about connery as bond he has its style when i think about brosnan as bond it's like you said it's just sort of like a paper doll version of james bond you don't do nothing unique with the role He's generic suave. And and that's kind of all I need. It feels right for this movie, which feels generic James Bond. Were there a few times when you saw him that you thought, he looks a little like Tom Cruise right there, especially when he does that run with the pump of the arms? I did not once ever think of Tom Cruise during the course of this film. I have to say. Not even when he was doing the run. No. (laughs) But I got to be honest with you, Chad. I don't think about Tom Cruise very much. When I think about two people running in movies, I think about Tom Cruise running because uh-huh. he does the, and then I think about Harrison Ford running because he runs with his chest out front. Like he's almost over the front of the skis at any moment. Harrison Ford could just topple ass over tea kettle and roll down the street when he's running. I only think of Harrison Ford and I only think of Harrison Ford running in uh, that Star Wars sequel. That is the only, when I think of any actor running in a movie, it is so stamped on my brain seeing old man Harrison and Ford doing that old man jog in The Last Jedi or whatever. The, what was the first one? Force Awakens. That I can't think of any other actor running now. It just makes me so sad. <laughs> that scene alone is the reason when everyone's like, they should do another Indiana Jones. I'm like, no, no, no. No, did you did you see Force Awakens? That's the last time I ever want to see Harrison Ford in a movie, quite frankly. Like, we, we recently lost Sir Sean Connery. I'm not sure mm. if he was a Sir. Should have been, probably. We didn't lose him. We know 
where he is. <laughs> right. We can we could go find him. Right. If we wanted souvenirs and such. But that was an actor who at a certain point was just like, you know what? I don't know what the kids fucking want anymore. And I'm just going to retire. So fuck you. And got out of movies. And that was it. And and he died at 90, lived an amazing life. God bless him. You know, he he's a, a legend and will always be. Um, but that's the way to do it. You got old man Harrison Ford just saying yes to every project until he's going to play the mummy for real. <laughs> oh my god well you know what Callista flockhart has expensive tastes i'm sure that's what it is what what did she buy <laughs> all right i guess i'll do another star wars movie i'll be a ghost this time <laughs> chewy i'm back from the dead <laughs> i need harrison ford and christopher lloyd in a movie just called scattered and old just the two of them. Where did you put the thing? I don't know. But let's get to the movie we're actually going to watch uh, or have watched tonight. And that's Die Another Day. The 20th, Chad. The 20th mm-hmm. entry in the uh, James Bond franchise. One one might argue perhaps too many at this point. Not if you're arguing with the Broccoli family. Oh, clearly not. Interestingly, this was a movie that some said almost sank the franchise, even though it did. Financially, it did really well. But critically and sort of the the buzz on the street, smoke on the street chat was this was kind of a shitty movie. That's not buzz. Those are facts. They were going to do a spinoff with Just Jinx. Oh, if only they had done that. <laughs> right. Then we would be doing that movie instead. But Good Lord. But let's get into Die Another Day, where we start with Chad, this handsome young fella, comes strolling into frame. <laughs> Are you talking about with our white circles left to right? Uh-huh. Ba-dum, boom, ba-dum, boom. But the music has this, like, 1970s porno remix. Yeah. Yeah, they drop some bass in it. I'm like, fucking, let's do this, James Bond. And then when... When the new James Bond, uh, in this case, Pierce Brosnan, the last time he'll ever be James Bond. Uh, you know, you never know. Never know. Never say never again. Mm. Mm, yes. Well, you would like me to play James Bond again? Mm, yes, of course. Yes. Never say never again again will be the name of it. So the bullet comes right at you this time. There's no, uh-huh. like a big CGI bullet flying right at you, uh, which reminded me of that, those old stories about people seeing a, a train in a movie for the first time and thinking it was uh, oh come, my god, come out of the screen and kill them. Man, people were fucking stupid back in the day, Chad. <laughs> like, I understand, like, oh, there's flickering pictures and whatnot. But for anyone to look at those shitty old grainy movies of trains mm-hmm. and think, that is a real train come to get me. So you're saying that people back then were so stupid to believe something like that could be real and that the media somehow infiltrated their brain to where they thought something that was fake was actually true. Yes. And we don't have anything like that in modern parlance. No, we we have clearly evolved well past that, Chad. <laughs> Our movie starts off and we are in, what is it? The Pukchang Coast in North Korea. Okay, that's how you say it. It's the beach from Private Ryan because that's what it looks like just to recap who our bad guys were in the previous bond films on pick six movies in goldfinger we had Arik goldfinger who was latvian but he got his bomb from the chinese in on her majesty's secret service it was blow 
Blofeld, who's the head of Spectre, and those bad guys. But there were Germans in there, sort of. I feel like there were some Italians, but maybe I'm just prejudiced. But the Italians helped him at the end. Oh, fair. So enough. they're not our bad guys. They were the mob. Okay. Yeah, right. They, they were the good guy mob. The, look, I remember the mobs work in both sides. In Live and Let Die, it was big tech and again the Germans, sort of. In License to Kill, it was South American drug runners, and in this movie, it's the North Koreans. Bo, how have we navigated the James Bondiverse and not had one single Russian as our bad guy? Well, we referred to Russians in this, and Russians showed up in the View to a Kill. We had the the Russian. Oh yeah, agent. yeah, yeah. Oh, it tickles my Chaikovsky. Yeah, that's right. She made All her right. pussy. So we got a we got a we got a sprinkling of Russian in there. So good for us. Yeah, but it's uh, like it's kind of the paprika of this season. It's been a real light dusting of Russians, which I I do think of like. The there's a whole movie called From Russia with Love. And isn't Thunderball or those Russian nukes? Uh, who cares? I've watched them all and they all have begun to just blend together. <laughs> it's like when you take a big shit and you think like, hey, I think I've pinched it off. Oh, wait, no, I haven't. It's still one giant baby arm coming out of me. That's what the James Bond movies have become for you is what I'm saying. They're a giant turd that lays coiled like a snake in your toilet. I don't even understand that analogy or if it's a metaphor. It's a thing of nightmares. And you seriously need to go talk to some sort of gastroenterologist. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I've got him on speed dial. I do like that the movie picks on the North Koreans as our bad guys. Because you remember in the 90s when Bill Clinton, when he was in office, there was the whole nuclear non-proliferation treaty. And, you know, we were trying to get inspectors in there to make sure nobody was creating plutonium to trade with a wide-eyed scientist for a empty box full of pinball machine parts or something. Right. I think it's also interesting how as you progress through James Bond films, whatever the threat of the day is makes its way into James Bond films. And we'll talk about this a little bit more when we talk about the Daniel Craig movies that you begin to see how forces that want to control power or whether it's, it's other nations or other people or the bad guys, whatever it is that they can use at their disposal to create chaos or to control others is really drawn from modern day you know news or pop culture or technology or whatever else as we see our private ryan beach we then see somebody is surfboarding in dude on like 50 foot waves yeah these waves are massive and then we see two people and then three all surfing together. And I was thinking that it might be the gimp from Zed's basement or Michelle Pfeiffer in Batman returns, or maybe it's uh, Marvel's black Panther, mm-hmm. but it, it's not. Although, you know what would be cool in this scene, Chad, if that had been mimes, if you saw the one guy surfing, you know, uh-huh. and then somebody else comes up from like under the wave and kills him inside the curl and then disappears into the water again Uh like a guy being assassinated inside the curl of a wave that'd be pretty cool i mean that doesn't happen in this movie but it'd be cool if it did happen in a movie one day here's a spoiler one of these guys is james bond do you have to have surfer on your resume to be part of like mi6 because you got to figure that the execution of whatever this mission is has a pretty limited talent pool to anyone who what grew up in hawaii or south africa or i don't know california or something we need three guys to go surfing Right, and James Bond's just like, I invented snowboarding. Mmm, yes, I can surf. You're from London. Mmm, yes, I know. I surfed all over an ice field once, and yes. Have you ever heard California Girls? <laughs> I was the drummer on the Wipeout. <laughs> 
That was me. Check under additional skills. It says both surfboarding and drumming. I once gave Neil Pert a run for his money, yes. I'm known as the sixth Beatle. They fired me, then they hired Pete Best. <laughs> it went James Bond, Pete Best, and Ringo Starr. You decide who was the best. Boom, chicka, boom, 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 chicka, boom. So Bon and his team cut a radar, maybe? Yeah, they flip over their surfboards and spin the fin, and there's a bunch of C4 hidden Uh up inside there. And then they set up a satellite dish on this little three-foot-tall stick. And the satellite dish sends out a signal into the air, and we see this North Korean helicopter flying overhead, and there's a mystery man inside holding a briefcase. And the spy satellite that they set up causes the helicopter to detour on a different path. And so James Bond and Dead Meat Number one spy and dead meat number two spy they strip off their wetsuits as this helicopter lands and they're wearing fancy clothes underneath and then the mystery man with the briefcase he gets out of the plane and he kind of sort of looks like james bond i said john cusack is it no but it could have been john cusack it's like john cusack if you left him out in the rain a little too long yeah i could see that my thought was that it was just pierce brosnan's stunt double (laughs) it probably was so the mystery man they kind of bonk him on the head and james bond takes the briefcase he gets on the helicopter and the dead meat spy one and two they jump on the helicopter to fly it and and off they go leaving what three murdered men on the ground Right. And inside the chopper, Bond is going through this briefcase that they stole from this dude. Oh, he also stole his sunglasses just to be an asshole. Right. And then inside the briefcase are a bunch of diamonds. And underneath the briefcase, luckily, Bo, is a hidden secret compartment that he can stick all of that C4. So bingo, bango, we got ourselves a briefcase bomb full of diamonds. Right. So then they go to Colonel Tansun Moon's headquarters in the North Korean demilitarized zone. This place is drab. Everything's made of concrete and none of the roads are paved. There's just mud everywhere. It's a mess. It looks like like a juvenile home's guidance counselor office. (laughs) So a bunch of soldiers are running around and closing gates. (laughs) Then we cut inside where our villain of the movie... Okay. Working out on a big uh, hanging punching bag. Yeah, he's doing a little MMA work on the heavy bag. And he's got a couple of flunkies in the background looking on. And they're just like, get a load of this guy doing all of his karate on this heavy bag. And then they open up the bag and out spills a dude who this guy has been going to town on. He says he's and he's speaking like perfectly fluent Korean by my ignorant ear. And he's like, he's like, he's like, open the bag. And then when the guy falls out, as you said, he looks at him and again, speaking in Korean, he says, that will teach you to lecture me. Yes. And that's the gag, right? Is that he sees that the uh, chopper is approaching Mm -hmm. and he's like, hey, I got to be outside. You two find me a new anger management therapist. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, see, he's got anger issues. (laughs) Right. And he just he beat up his therapist. And that's what makes it funny, you know? And the therapist was probably like, hey, are you angry sometimes? And he was like, that's enough! (laughs) You know, but that new therapist, he's just going to end up in the heavy bag like all the others. You know, the guys who are are tasked to go get another one, that's their joke to each other. It's like, you know what? Why don't we just throw one in a bag and skip the middleman? You know? You know what I'm saying, Tony? And Tony's like, (laughs) look, man, we got to do what he says. It's North Korea. He'll fucking kill us and all our families. (laughs) I don't want to end up in the bag. Yeah, you want to be re-educated? I don't want to be (laughs) re-educated. Yeah, whatever you say. I don't give a shit. Yeah. Yeah, get him an anger manager. Put him in the bag. Don't put him in the bag. I don't give a fuck. As long as I'm not the one in the bag. 
The chopper lands, outsteps Bond, and Zhao, uh, who is a, a, like a taller thug. He is Moon's right-hand man. Right. He's our sub-villain. Our, our mini-boss. Yes. Our mayday, if you will. Because he does have dialogue. Yes, but we also have a Mr. Kill later, and all this starts to fall uh, apart. Right. Well, but Mr. Kill is more of an odd job, in that he doesn't say anything. He just gets killed. But Zhao is, like, super sneaky, and takes a picture uh, with his phone to get Click. James Bond's ID. Like, kind of... Pulls it out of his his jacket a little bit and click. I like when he walks up to James Bond. He goes, hi there, I'm Zhao and you're late. And you're like, wait a minute. Do I detect notes of the Chesapeake Bay area in your accent, Zhao? You're from the Northern Virginia area, sincerely. And now I know that we are in North Korea, but the way that you said that of, hi there, I'm Zhao. No, no, I get that a lot. My father worked as an ambassador. I did grow <laughs> ah. up in Northern Virginia. Yes, you're quite right about that. Speaking of which, Moon marches over and in his own accent that is 100% absent of any Asian influence, he says, Mr. Van Burke, well, I'm looking forward to this meeting. And you're like, what just happened here? That guy was speaking fluent Korean not 30 seconds ago. And now he comes outside and he's like, hey there, buddy. How's it going? And you're like, yeah. Some people know other languages and aren't stupid like us, Chad. But also it is jarring to make that abrupt change. Because as soon as he sees Bond, like you said, he greets him. And Bond is immediately like, eh, Colonel Moon, few people are willing to trade in conflict diamonds these days. And Moon is like, hey, I know all about the UN. You know, I studied at Oxford and Harvard and I majored in Western hypocrisy. See what I did there? It's a little joke. Play on words. You like puns, Mr. Van Breek? Uh, you like those little wordplay? Uh, anyway. And Bond is like, Western hypocrisy. Uh, I see your fancy sports cars over there. It says something a bit different, <laughs> I would say. I would assume that perhaps you minored in criminal injustice. <laughs> I can do wordplay too. Yes, yes, yes. And then uh, Moon is like, yeah, yeah, enough about that. How about them diamonds? And Bond's like, let me see the weapons first. And Zal is like, yeah, hey, everyone, bring those weapons up here. And out come, Chad, a bunch of goddamn hovercrafts. And Moon says, I'll tell you what, buddy, it's a real minefield out there. There's minefields all over the place. You know what? And these hovercrafts, they float over them like a dream, I tells you. You know what? And check this out. We decided to mount RPGs on the top of that one. Hell, some of them got flamethrowers. This one's got an automatic weapon strapped to the top. Boy, oh boy. I'll bet the upcoming action sequence is going to be a real humdinger. <laughs> humdinger. Hey, let's talk about diamonds. Meanwhile, Zal gets word back on his phone right away that's like, hey, this dude is James Bond and somewhere in the distant past Zorin is just like hey on a phone and <laughs> I had a whole supercomputer and you did it on your phone and anyway but Sal is like hey Colonel Moon can I talk to you in private for a moment and then Moon comes over he's like sure what's going on chum he's like yeah, this guy, his name is James Bond, and he's a, a British uh, spy. Take a look at my Sony Ericsson phone that I'm holding up. It says right here, look, MI6 agent, his name's James Bond, his agent number is 007, and he's got a license to kill, and he's allergic to shellfish, and he likes sexually assaulting women, and he dislikes women that put up a fight. He also once turned a lesbian, who almost assuredly regretted that decision. His childhood nickname was Skeeter. That's weird, isn't it? That is weird. Now that Moon is in on this, right? Oh, boy, oh, boy. Talk about a downer. Hey, Mr. Bond, look at this. I call it a tank buster rifle with depleted uranium bullets. And James Bond goes, hmm, 
Depleted uranium, naturally. I call it a tank buster. Check this out. Yeah, and he just turns and he blows up the fucking helicopter that they came in on, along with the two red shirts that came along for this trip. Yeah, see you later, Dead Meat 1 and Dead Meat 2. Yeah, and then he says, So, how do you think you're going to kill me now, Mr. Bond? And Bond genuinely looks surprised because he's such a terrible fucking spy. That is the one consistency through these movies. Is He's just like, Huh, I honestly didn't see that coming. Did he have a phone? That seems like the kind of technology I should have. All I've got is a watch. Yeah. Cripes. And so they just grab him. But then all of a sudden, there's a call on the phone, and <laughs> right. it's Papa Moon, who is a general, and he has seen the smoke and explosion off over at Camp Moon Jr.'s place. So he calls up, and he's like, hey, what, what's going on? There's a huge fire. And uh, Zal's like, oh, crap. It's your dad. He's going to shit. He's going to kill us. I'm getting out of here. Where's my skateboard? Your dad scares me. I'm leaving. <laughs> right. It's like, you know, dad called and is coming home early from the trip, and they got to measure out the liquor bottles real quick and clean up the living room we gotta hide all these weapons before my dad gets here guys he's gonna be so angry come on get moving and you guys in the band cheese it come on hide hide so all of these paid movie extras in camouflage they just start running around going crazy yeah, they're, they're just fucking going everywhere. And also hovercrafts, Chad. Hovercrafts are going fucking hither and yawn. I don't know if you know this about me. I love hovercrafts. Whatever I think about hovercrafts, I think about Rumble in the Bronx, where that hovercraft right. goes over that guy and pulls his pants off and you see his naked ass. Uh, yes. And also the G.I. Joe hovercraft was awesome. Hovercrafts are great. During all this chaos of the hovercraft, James Bond finds himself standing in front of a firing range where they're all hanging at him. Like, would you like a cigarette mr bond on my count men 10 9 8 i'm like just just shoot him what why bother with the formality of a firing range just shoot him this is north korea if any country anywhere is just gonna shoot someone without reason it's north korea meanwhile there's a dude like with the diamond case open going through it with a jeweler's lens Mm -hmm. you know to I eyeball the diamonds, I guess. Zal runs over there and he's like, hey, is my skateboard over here? And then Bond triggers his watch and blows up the briefcase full of diamonds. Right, which blows a bunch of diamonds into Zal's face, mm-hmm. which is how we will know him from the rest of the movie. <laughs> Bond gets on his own hovercraft. Yeah, he takes off running. A bunch of soldiers are shooting at him. Nobody hits him for shit. He does 360s in the hovercraft, just blindly firing a machine gun that he just picked up off the ground, as he does. Somehow launches a sports car into a bunch of oil drums, and the entire world explodes. (laughs) He punches the guy driving the hovercraft before he takes it over, and then in the backseat, this weird thing happens. There's a dead guy there that they just leave in the back of the hovercraft, (laughs) and this guy like does his best weekend at Bernie's impression and I couldn't figure out why this body was kept in the shot other than maybe they needed a stuntman to drive the hovercraft while Pierce Brosnan is 007 pretended to shoot guns and do action stuff maybe so it's funny though it's weird like the the dummy just sort of like ding dongs back and forth during the rest of this action sequence of which I don't have much to say about it I just skipped over this and said it looked like the cast from Duck Dynasty got their hands on some planet indoor speed bikes Here's my note on this whole action sequence. Bond fires an Uzi from a hovercraft, and that is literally all I want from these movies. Like, this is all totally, all of this is totally fine with me. He's fighting other guys in in hovercrafts. He's jumping from one hovercraft to another. People are shooting flamethrowers. Yeah. Hey, pal. How'd you little, like a little fire, Scarecrow? And just lights up James Bond. Has a fucking flamethrower in a hovercraft. 
And again, that's all I want. This is all I want out of these movies. We're making this sound so much better than it is because it looks terrible. It's not great. And, and the action sequences, I think, are edited in a very confusing way for the most part. This movie is very poorly edited. Yes, but I will say that this hovercraft sequence is it's probably my favorite in the movie just because it's like, oh, all this makes sense. This is him trying to escape North Korean capture and kill this dude. What is trading in these uh, conflict diamonds. I totally understand what's going on, and I love hovercrafts and flamethrowers. After this, the rest of the movie doesn't make any sense in a linear narrative fashion. Act 3 comes back and explains it all. I'm like, that's not what I wanted. I'm, I'm not, this isn't a murder mystery. I, I agree, but I would also point out that H.P. Hovercraft Chad was the pseudonym of Rodney Linderman, lead singer of the Dead Milkman, and uh, uh, it was one of the things I couldn't get out of my head. Taking notes and writing hovercraft over and over again was just like oh yeah i do like the dead milkman a lot i'm glad they're back together wait didn't their lead singer kill himself i thought they were together again i thought he was okay i thought it was another dude in the band who killed himself Mm. i I might have all this wrong i look i'm not gonna pretend that my dead milkman curated knowledge is what it never. i'm a big fan of soul rotation i think it is an underrated album and i think it's the the best one they ever did we finally got moon and james bond mono e mono on this big ass hovercraft barreling towards like a temple or something right but it's a temple kind of built on this cliff next to three converging waterfalls i do believe yeah it's a real like uncharted kind of set piece moment yeah and so james bond gets away from moon hits the throttle which sucks moon to the back a fan of this hovercraft it it immobilizes him against the fan but he doesn't go into the fan he gets stuck to the metal casing that allows wind to pass through but not uh people named moon Right, but the hovercraft barrels off the side or through the this kind of monastery into the water and it surprisingly does not explode. It's the only thing thus far in the film that did not. But James Bond has managed to snag the bell rope and has managed to uh, uh, find safety while Moon is 100% dead due to having, one, gone face first through cement or Correct. brick or whatever. R.I.P. Moon Jr., we will certainly not be seeing Moon Jr. in the rest of our movie. He is gone. Put Moon Jr. out of your mind. There is no way any man could have survived this crash. Not even the likes of Moon Jr. He is gone, Bo. Yeah, truly an unsurvivable crash. Did you find it troubling when James Bond, first off, it's poorly edited showing him jumping off of the hovercraft to get mm-hmm. away. Cause if you blink, you'll miss it. And you're thinking James Bond's dead along with moon. But when he jumps off, he grabs the long wooden striker that hits the bell to make it ring. And then as he drops down off of this rope, that's connected to the striker, James Bond says to himself, mm, yes, saved by the bell. Who are you doing this for? <laughs> He's doing it for him, man. That's James Bond is not doing this for anybody else every quip he makes in this movie sure another person might be there but it's not for them he's enjoying his work when james bond sees a living human being there are three things that he considers doing one making a terrible joke that is a pun or wordplay two putting a bullet into them or three sexually assaulting them yeah or any combination thereof 
throughout the film, he's going to do combinations of those things with several characters. About this time, General Papa Moon, he shows up with his army of North Korean soldiers. And Papa Moon, who is 100% North Korean, he says in an accent that is 100% not North Korean, dang it, my son's dead. And then James <laughs> James Bond gets, what, arrested? Abducted? Just forcibly Just taken removed. prisoner, yeah. They would have filled him with so many bullets that there would have just been nothing left but human applesauce. Maybe so, but I do like the idea that this father doesn't necessarily like his son all that much. And it's just like, you know, it sucks that you killed my son. That hurts. That's an unforgivable sin. But do you know how much those hovercrafts cost? These aren't insured. Wait, was that the one with the flamethrower on top? God, that was my favorite. I was going to go camping this weekend. Dad? It's my favorite too. After they take him prisoner, they start torturing him. Like, they take his head, dunk it in some water. I was going to say it's a reverse waterboarding, but that doesn't make any sense. It's like extreme bobbing for apples. Like, where (laughs) you just go into ice water and there's no apples. Like, it's extreme! Yeah, and bobbing implies you're coming up for air. This is kind of a one-way bob. It's extreme! And then, Chad, the credits begin to to start with... (laughs) Man, this song is fucking terrible. I told you this offline. This is the bottom tier of James Bond music I've ever heard in my life. It's pretty rough. There's some interesting choices during Daniel Craig that we'll talk about in the the final episode. I like the Jack White one. That I I have always dug that. But one. but it's different, and I I respect that they decided to do something a little different. Now, what they really fucked up was when they actually have her in the movie in a couple of minutes. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. Talk, we'll talk about. It. But during this opening sequence, we see him getting dunked underwater, and I think electrocuted, and then we see lots of images of scorpions, women that look like Johnny Storm and full flame on mode and then there are other women dancing about who look like living ice sculptures and now having seen this movie twice i get that why there are women that are made of fire and why there are women made of ice but bo there are no scorpions in this movie other than the opening credit all right chad i investigated this after we discussed this a little bit outside the show and here is the interpretation of the title designer is that all the fire and ice and electricity ladies represent the various tortures visited on James Bond, just as the scorpions. There's the throwaway line in the next scene where they're like, hey, we, a bunch of scorpions stung you, and then they would give you the antidote after the venom was Don't nobody care about that. There's no scorpions in this movie. The only It's mentioned in one line, and they are, this credit sequence is sick with scorpions. Like, they're crawling around diamond facets, and then it's basically all james bond's torture hallucinations thankfully the madonna song ends oh it's so fucking bad we get to see james bond dressed up like robinson caruso (laughs) he looks like barry gibb (laughs) (laughs) it's it's 14 months later and he's just like sorry some oh one more my life will be sorry oh all right i'm done are you done oh now i'm done 
some North Korean goons. They drag James Bond out of this interrogation room where Papa Moon is waiting for Bond. And Papa Moon says, I don't like what they're doing here. And Papa Moon, he holds up these tongy, rusty torture pliers. And Bond says, "Mm, yes, tell it to the concierge. Which, first of all, one of these nearby goons should have clocked him in the skull for that remark. Yeah. But in their defense, Papa Moon may be the only one in the room who speaks fluent English. And then Papa Moon, he just dismisses the muscle away and he says, Still, you're making jokes. Defiant to the very end. Your people have abandoned you. You've never existed to them. They are giving you the biggest version of the silent treatment that the world has ever seen. They act like you've never been here, boy. And Bond is then taken over to this bridge. And Papa Moon, he mouths off at James Bond about how the East can't trust the West. And then Papa Moon says, Look, I hope my son Moon Jr. Remember, he died a little over a year ago. Saddest day. Third, fifth saddest day of my life. Well, I wanted him to get a Western education. And that's why earlier he didn't sound anything like somebody from Korea. The script kind of left that out. But anyway, I was kind of hoping that maybe while he was in America, he'd figure out a way for me to meet Nicole Eggert from Baywatch. Because I like her. I was a fan of Charles in Charge. And I always wanted to meet her. But now my son's dead. I don't even know what I'm really talking about right now. Other than I just, I think Nicole Eggert is a real looker. Anyway, walk across that bridge and we're going to shoot you in the back, boy. Is that a fair assessment of what happens in this Yeah, uh, essentially. I will say, adding to my theory that James Bond does this all for himself, when he has the tell it to the concierge line, he Uh kind of laughs to himself. Like, look, I'm about to die probably, but eh, that was all right. I mean, I'm not saying it's top tier, but uh, for a guy who's been tortured for 14 months, eh, that's a pretty solid zinger. I bet this asshole was just sitting in that dungeon, just like, tell it to the bellhop. No, that's not it. Go talk to the manager. No. God, come in here and pull my finger. Huh? Tell it to the concierge. Is that a little too highbrow? Would they know the word concierge? You know, Bond, if they do know the word concierge, it makes it all the more intellectually funny. Go with concierge, Bond. You joke, Smith, you. (laughs) What about shopkeep? No, no, no. Concierge. Stay concierge. We've made the decision, Bond. Just stick with it. Then, as he starts walking, he's like, well, this is it, old boy. And then he hears an American voice say, keep walking, keep walking. And then he realizes that it's an exchange. And then Zhao passes by. He's like, well, hello, Mr. Bond. It's nice to see you again. Well, we know that it's Zhao because James Bond looks up and says, hmm, yes, that's Zhao from early in the movie. The one that I blew up next to a briefcase full of blood diamonds. I mean, uh, conflict diamonds. Hello, Zhao, old chap. Tell it to the concierge. Damn it, it doesn't work here. But instead, Bond is like, and if that one didn't get you, how about this? Your time will come, Zhao. And Zhao says, not as soon as yours, Mr. Bond. And then James Bond's like, damn it. He turned it around. I know you are, but what am I? (laughs) Sal says, takes one to no one. Bond says, I'm rubber. Your glue bounces off me, sticks to you. And then Zhao says, douchebag says what? And Bond says, what? Damn it. Ha ha. I got you, James Bond. You're a douchebag. Vengeance will be mine, Zhao. What's that on your shirt? (laughs) I got you. Damn it. (laughs) Zhao, you may have gotten the upper hand this go round, but I'm going to a joke shop slash costume haberdashery later today. I'll find something that you won't see coming. When next we shake hands, Al, there might be a buzzer in the palm. Just you wait. Do you like to chew gum? I'll bet you do, Zhao. Zhao, how do you feel about peanut brittle? Delicious, isn't it? I want to address a few things here. One, when we last saw Zhao, he was being blown up with the bomb with the diamonds in the briefcase. Uh-huh. 
And this explains why we see the 15 to 20 diamonds that are visibly embedded in the right side of his face, spanning his chin and cheeks and nose and forehead. Which one, I don't think that that is how a healing body and medical science works. They would have just left diamonds in his head like this. And I'm not saying it doesn't look totally badass. It kind of looks like something like a rapper from the 90s might do to show off how gangsta and rich he was, you know, as their musical persona. But it, it doesn't really make sense in the real world. Okay. Well, Chad, I'll be the first to say that people will say he's crazy. He's got diamonds on the sides of his cheeks. Yeah. How was Zhao captured by the West? Because we last saw him 14 months ago. So he got blowed up and then healed up and then went somewhere and got captured. Yeah, because later on, M says that he was caught trying to blow some shit up at the UN or something. He's responsible for the death of three Chinese agents later. And that's right. why the whole thing with Chang happens, which we'll get to here in a minute. Been a busy year for Zhao. Zhao did not rest on his hovercraft laurels. No. He got to work, and I respect that. And so on the ally side, Michael Madsen shows up as Falco. Damn. Me and Falco. Ugh. That's a pretty good name, right? It's not bad. It's not bad. Uh, dude, I spent hours just laying in bed imagining the adventures and crimes that Damien Falco solves each week over on CBS back in 1982. And when he, he sees Bond coming across the bridge, he says, look at that. You think he was some kind of hero? I'd watch a drama called Baltz and Falco, right? Oh, sure. You know, one's a cop who plays by the rules. The other one's a cop who breaks them all. Baltz and Falco tonight on CBS, 11 o'clock Eastern, 10 o'clock Central. USA, characters wanted. And, and so as soon as Bond gets to the end of the bridge, he's like, well, it's good to be home. And they immediately jam a needle in his arm and sedate him and throw him on a stretcher. Yeah. Where he is then taken to the med bay from the movie Prometheus, where the machine does its analysis. Yep. And a doctor says, in VO, we never see the doctor, but he says, he was repeatedly stung by scorpions and then given anti-venom. His internal organs are surprisingly good, except for his liver, on account of his rampant alcoholism. So we do know it is, in fact, Bond, one of our most important agents who we all, all can agree is a rampant alcoholic, who, whose behavior at times is compromised by his need to drink. Do you see what I did there, Trevor? I made a joke about his alcohol abuse. I get your joke, Anthony. I don't find alcoholism funny. My father, due to substance abuse problems, I'm... Sorry, Trevor, I didn't know that. That's because you don't take time to ask about my personal life. I'm leaving early, Anthony. To be fair, I just don't care. So M comes into this secured uh, hospital room. M, as played by Dame Judy Dench, and she is the best M of all the M's in the entire James Bond catalog. Yeah. She classes up the joint like no other M in the history of the Bond franchise. She classes up everything. Movies, TV shows, stage plays, theme park rides. Remember how easy it was to learn your ABCs? Thank the Phoenicians. They invented them. I would like to open a, a bathroom door and find Dame Judy Dench there. Just here to class up the place. Just go about your business. You think she takes shits that are like a baby's arm or a giant cobra in your toilet like you were talking about? Or do you think she... I think hers would be mostly pellets. <laughs> like a rabbit? I just use the grass outside, yes. <laughs> she hunkers down like a golden retriever. <laughs> Don't mind me, love. I'm just out here defecating. No need for toilet paper. My anus is self-cleaning. <laughs> no, no. Don't worry about cleanup. I did it in the garden. <laughs> that way the cucumbers we eat have a little bit of Dame Judy Dench at every bite. 
Bond wakes up and M says, welcome back. And then Bond gets out of bed, kind of looking like a skinny Hagrid from the neck up. And he's truly <laughs> more hair than man. And we find out here that there is a glass pane between James Bond in his patient's room and where M is standing. And he says, mm, yes, you don't seem pleased to see me, M. And M says, if I had my way, you'd still be in North Korea. Your freedom came at too high of a price. Zhao tried to blow up a summit between North Korea and China, as Bo mentioned earlier. Luckily, we put a bomb inside a briefcase that was filled with cubic zirconia and makes his back now look like a chandelier over Liberace's bathtub. I know it's a dated reference, but I'm an old woman and it makes me laugh. You're not the only one who can write jokes for Rowan and Martin's laughing, James Bond. Here's what I love, is that as soon as Bond is like, so I guess I'm just some piece of garbage to be thrown out? Is that it, M? And she comes into the room as if to say, like, I'm not afraid of you. You listen up here, mister. Everyone thinks that you gave up information. They think that you were spouting about while they were torturing you and feeling with all kinds of drugs. And she ends this dressing down of how much she doesn't give a shit about James Bond. A guilty spy says what? What? Oh, damn, damn it. Even I can get information out of you, Bond, just by making a childish joke. Well, and she says, you are on so many drugs, it's hard to know what you did or didn't say. And then she says, look, we're about to ship you off to the Falklands for evaluation. You have no use to anyone now, 007. Before you leave, Bond, do me a favor. Can you pull this ring off my finger? (laughs) Ha ha, I got you. You're so simple. Oh, damn it. Uh, That sound was terrible, too. Yes, one might say I stepped on a duck, Bond. (laughs) You think the sound is terrible? Wait until the smell hits you. Oh, God! God! What have you been eating, woman? She gives him the old, I'm sorry, James. Sorry? Sorry for what? I'm sorry, James. Oh, it smells terrible. Oh, what have you been eating, woman? Mostly my toenails. Uh, I have a problem. You you gave me the Shaun of the Dead. You're a foul <laughs> woman, inside and out. If ever there was a woman who has never said, pull my finger, it is Dame Judy Dick. I disagree. If you've ever seen her on those, uh, like, video chats that she does with, like, Francis Farmer and people like that, like, people of her age, mm-hmm. she is filthy. She, really? Yeah, she's kind of like an old badmouth grandma at times. It's wonderful. I didn't think I could like her anymore, and now I do. I know. You can tell them all to suck my dick. James Vaughn says, Mmm, yes, a spy never gives up intel, no matter how many apples he isn't allowed to bob, or how many times a scorpion pincer does not pince his Pierce Brosnan. I'm innocent, M. Someone set me up. Moon got a call from his partner in the West, and I'm going to go after him. The man who set me up and when i meet this fella i'm gonna grab him by the balls i'm gonna put up my dukes and give him a piece of my mind we're gonna go mano a mano just a couple of men beating each other up the way men beat up men this man will definitely know what it's like to have another man beat up that man em is just like hmm, you're a piece of shit james and leaves and she's just gone the guy's definitely a man by the way moon's dead he's not gonna come back either mm, yes pull my finger I'm rubbing your glue! Damn it, she's gone! So he has some flashbacks about being tortured to pat out the runtime or whatever. Oh, God. And then he just lowers his heart rate until it looks like he's gone into cardiac arrest. And a bunch of doctors rush into his secured room, and Bond wakes himself up and uses the paddles that they were about to shock him back to life with to shock the the two guy doctors. And then the lady doctor is just, of course, too much of a lady to, I don't know, fight. She kind of throws fuck eyes at him a little bit. She's like, mmm. It's totally, like, she... 
he leaves the room and seals all of them inside and on his way out he thinks the the nurse he's like eh, thanks for the kiss of life like lolita and then she gives him this total i would fuck him look and you're like this is just not the time or the place you know but i disagree this is a james bond movie who just used <laughs> cardio paddles to escape from wherever the hell he's being held it's that's exactly the time and place for this to happen I suppose it like that's the reminder of like oh right it's a James Bond movie I was having a good time with Dame Judi Dench and hovercrafts and then I'm reminded oh right this is just gonna be awful she's over there reciting dirty limericks (laughs) and running to the bathroom to leave a (laughs) message on the wall with a phone number of her best friend right she's writing her number backwards in lipstick like a red rum on the plexiglass So Bond, it turns out, was on a boat docked off of the Hong Kong Harbor. So he just dives off. Into the water of the Hong Kong Harbor. Could you imagine what diseases you have on you when you get out of that swamp? Uh, You may be surprised that my research for the intro has led me to a conclusion that there is about a 97% chance that James Bond would have chlamydia based on his sexual contact. So, you know. There's a 70% chance he hits a corpse is james bond getting a disease from the hong kong harbor or is, or is the, the harbor kong- getting <laughs> yeah getting a little touch of the, the clap from bond bond wanders into this hotel wearing these blue pajamas from the mike brady collection yeah, looking like he just got out of a north korean torture camp where immediately the people behind the desk are like do you have a credit card he says mm, yes wait for it wait for it tell it to the concierge No laughs? Not even a titter? Damn! Damn! Because then they're like, oh, the concierge, Chang, come over here. And he's like, oh, it was literal. Yes. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Yes. The concierge uh, right here. Uh, Tell him I need a presidential suite. And and that's a Chang. Yeah, because Chang recognizes Bond through his filth-covered pajamas. (laughs) And because he's the worst fucking spy in the world, it's just, oh, James Bond super spy, of course. Would you like the presidential suite (laughs) super spy, James Bond? Are you filming the sequel to (laughs) Castaway, James Bond? Please write this way, sir. Right, where's Wilson, uh, Super Spy James Bond? And this one, he's a basketball, not a volleyball. That's the change-up. And Chang, by the way, is like, I recommend the lobster, Mr. Bond. And Bond is like, ah, yes, uh, send up the tailor along with a 62 Bollinger, yes. Uh, Chang is like, well, of course. Uh, and so they go up to his suite, or Bond goes to his suite, and shaves and gets all sexied up. You know? Yeah. He gets all cleaned up. He's now Bond again. Yeah. And the doorbell rings, and it's a lady masseuse named, and I quote Chad, Peaceful Fountains of Desire. And she's like, I'm here to, the house has recommended me to massage you. That's no different than Meta World Peace, you know, the basketball player for the Lakers. I've never heard of this, and that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. His real name was Ronald Artest. Oh, and he changed right. his name to Middle World Peace? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that Ron Artest had gone crazy. That's yeah. a shame. <laughs> well, that's what happened to this lady. She became a professional prostitute, and she's like, I'm not going to go by Kimberly Jones. Right. I'm going to call myself Downtown Water Squirt Rub and Tug. Sorry, man, that name's taken. Shit. I go with, uh, I think it was Einstein who said his mama named him Cassius. I'm going to call him Cassius. And Vaughn immediately starts getting frisky with peaceful fountains of Wayne. You didn't fight no Cassius, Clay. (laughs) (laughs) 
So she says, I'm not that kind of masseuse. And he says, yeah, yes, I'm not that kind of customer. I know you are, but what am I? Damn it! Ah, what is this? Raw liver? No, 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 that's not it. It's a gun, is what I found. On your thigh. Much like uh, the, the little chippy from uh, License to Kill had one there as well, so I learned that. And... <laughs> She's like, oh, you got me. And then James Bond is like, here's an ashtray. Zing! And throws it across the room. It shatters a mirror behind which are two schmucks with a couple of video cameras and Chang. Yeah, filming him. They were going to film him getting, what, jerked off by a masseuse? Let me describe the scene to you, okay? A couple of guys stink a B.O. They got constipation because they've been sitting on their ass for a couple of days. <laughs> I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to them. But also, Chang gets out and he's like, raised his hands because Bond's got a gun pulled on him. And I like the fact that Bond is like, uh, just put your hands down, Chang. Look, Chang, it turns out, is Chinese intelligence, and he, Bond is like, I always knew you as spy, Chang, but I need you to get me into North Korea. Uh, as, you, as you may know, I'm after a man named Zhao. He killed three of your agents. I've got a little unfinished business. And Chang is like, uh, I'm going to have to talk to Beijing before I give you a, a, like a yes or a no on this. And yeah. Bond kind of looks disappointed that he's not really getting a massage at the end of this. Why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? Damn it, Bond! It's leave. You sound like an idiot when you say it like that. Down in the lobby, Chang hands Bond this box filled with a passport and plane tickets to Havana. And Chang says, hey, look, Zhao disappeared in Havana. But if you see him, say goodbye for us. Uh, that's code for you should kill Zhao. So see you later. Bond says, mm, yes, yes, I'll kill him. That's what I could do. I'm a spy. So let me just say, at this point in this movie... I like the fact that it feels kind of globetrotting, that there were uh -huh. hovercrafts, that James Bond got tortured in it. And I also like this premise of James Bond gets burned. He has no quarter here, neither MI6 nor the Americans, like everybody's out to get him. And at this point of the movie, the first time you watch it, you're like, man, this might be a pretty good movie. Do you know the exact moment that that all changed for you? Yes, we will. <laughs> We'll get there. It's not yet, because I think, actually, this whole sequence is pretty good, too, where Bond checks out. He gets, you know, the, the box that you described. I do like the, if you see Zhao's, tell him goodbye from us. I, I Again, that feels very James Bond to me. Do you want me to just say goodbye, or should I give him a message? Perhaps hugs and kisses? Now, when you say us, do you mean you here at this hotel, Cheng? Is that coming from you personally? I know there's a difference, but I've said goodbye from lots of people. I just want to make sure that I convey the message appropriately. It could be a bit of a royal us. Uh, just yourself as a we. As it were. Just tell him what we said. It doesn't matter if you understand it, Mr. Bond. I'd just like to know the message I'm delivering is all. Would you prefer to write it down on a piece of stationery? I could just hand it to him to make sure that there's nothing that's lost in translation. One time I said goodbye on behalf of one person to another. I got so aroused, I poked her with my erection, grabbed her ass, raped her, and everything was completely misconstrued. I'm going to court in six months because of this. What I'm saying is, I don't want to go to court for you, Jang. This may seem like a bit of a stretch, but have you thought about a long-distance dedication to him? Uh, call up Kesa Kesem and tell him how you feel about Zhao and what song best demonstrates those feelings? Perhaps something by Air Supply. You can't go wrong with Air Supply. Look, I don't want to put songs in your mouth, Cheng, but All Out of Love sounds like it might fit. 
couple skate. It's a couple skate only. Hey, you kids, get off. Hey, you, no, you two boys, quit holding hands. You're not a couple. For the next 45 minutes, hot dogs are going to be 75 cents at the concession stand, everyone. 75 cent hot dog next next hour. Couple skate. Everybody, couple skate. So in Havana, James Bond is just strolling around the boulevard while brassy music plays. Uh-huh. This was all filmed in Spain, by the way, because they're not going to film in Cuba. Right. So they, they've set it up to where it feels like a stage production. Like, how cliched can we get to make this look? It looks like a like a tourist video. Like, come to Cuba for your vacation, if you could, back in the day. And so Bond goes into this cigar rolling factory where a bunch of half-naked women are rolling cigars and goes to, like, the floor manager or whatever and is like, oh, yes, I'm, I'm here for delectados. And the guy's like, <laughs> we don't make those. And he's like, uh, try universal exports delectados. That's a code word that spies use to get what they want. Also, I would like some crab. How about that? Crabs or delectados? What works for, for you? <laughs> some sort of shellfish, perhaps? I'm looking for a man named Zhao. This is all top secret. Don't tell anyone I told you. I'm looking right. for a Cuban sleeper agent. Have you seen someone who looks like they could be a sleeper agent? Everyone, everyone, stop rolling cigars and take off the rest of your clothes. My name is James Bond, and I am a spy working for military (laughs) intelligence out of England. Have any of you seen any other sleeper cell agents who could help me find this man, Zhao? He has diamonds blasted into the side. Anyone? No? I have a gun. I have a gun and an erection if anyone is interested. I'm a terrible spy. As far as which I prefer to use, ask the concierge. Mm, no. She smiled in the back. Oh, wait, she sneezed. I'm sorry. Oh, it was a sneeze. God bless you. God bless you. All right. No one else? Okay. You there in the front. What do you do for a living? Where are you from? Um, this is called crowd work. Do you speak English? The Queen's just Spanish. No, I don't. I don't do that. I can surf. No, senor. No, I Oh, the music started again. I guess that means adventure. And this sleeper agent comes out of nowhere. He's like, shut up, shut up. Come here. I'll tell you. Uh, and, and he is um, this agent, a sleeper agent, that has just been hanging out in Cuba waiting for somebody to show up, apparently. And he tells Bond, hey, this guy, Zhao, is rumored to be on Los Organos. <laughs> Which I think is Spanish for the organs, in which uh, an island uh, has a, a secret medical facility run by the strange Dr. Alvarez. And Bond says, I'll tell you what, uh, good information. Could I have a gun and your binoculars, also your underwear and a car and a pickle and that sandwich? You don't happen to have a joke book, do you? I know it's a stretch, but I'm kind of pursuing a passion of mine on the side. Let me ask you, have you ever been in a bar with a horse? No, no. All right. Well, perhaps not a joke for you then, but it involves uh, a horse having a bit of a long face, you understand. So the the guy gives him the gun of binoculars and underwear and, and stuff, and uh, he asks for a fast car, and he's given, I think it's a Ford Fairlane? It is a Ford Fairlane. And then he drives from that dude to a seaside bar, Chad. And this mm-hmm. is where the movie starts to take its turn. As Bond is pitching Campari, <laughs> let's all take a minute to appreciate the good folks at Campari for spending a little money to make <laughs> Die Another Day happen. There's a dude who sounds like he's South African. 
just being an asshole in the corner. I think he's Australian, if I remember my subtitles correctly. All right. But he has an invitation to this Alvarez. He's just an asshole. His name's Mr. Krug. And he threatens to shoot the waiter in the balls and turn him into, I quote, a Felix Castrato. Uh huh. Bond is just like, "Eh, that's pretty good. I should write that one down. Felix Castrato. I wonder if he would want to create a partnership. Yeah, I could be the straight man, and he could be the comic relief. Perhaps that's my role in the world of comedy. Perhaps some sort of transmitter and a receiver. Sort of a Cyrano de Bergerac of comedy. You understand? <laughs> Bond is kind of checking out the, this island with binoculars and, and scanning guards and whatnot. And it looks like this big fortress. But the fortress is a medical clinic. The Alvarez Clinic. On Isla de los Organos. <laughs> right. Oh, it's so stupid. And then he gets distracted because a Halle Berry comes out of the water. It, yes. It's kind of a ripoff of that Ursula Andress Dr. No reveal. She's got the white belt. She's got the diving knife. It's the whole look. Right. And she sways her way out of the water while James Bond practically jerks off. Let me jump in here and say there are a lot of James Bond Easter eggs in this movie. I didn't bother to pepper my notes with them, but because it was the 20th anniversary, it is chock full of James Bond winks and nods throughout the whole film. And this is just one of many. Yeah, there's some stuff with Q in particular that even I, someone who doesn't watch these movies, was like, I get it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I remember that from that movie. (laughs) So Halle Berry is... Jinx. jinx yeah bond uh, when he sees her he's like magnificent view that's a, a pun i'm referring to both the majesty of god's creation as well as your breast which let's be honest god created as well so it works on two levels i'm james bond i'm a stand-up comedian part-time spy she immediately is hey my name is jinx i was born on friday the 13th also my relationships don't seem to last my mom died in childbirth my dad tripped over me when i was taking my first steps and hit his head he's in a medically induced coma now then there's a (laughs) bunch of bullshit about predators and prey if you want to go into that we can the ultimate takeaway is him saying what do i do for a living i'm an ornithologist and then she looks dead at his dick and says wow that's a mouthful let me see your pecker you got a big cock boy these are rapid fire you're quite good at this i was going to say it if it walks like a duck and it's my penis like a duck no i Mm. could stick it inside you like a duck is there something there i'm gonna write that in my notebook i need to workshop some of this clearly but i i see what you're getting at and i think you mean sex and that sounds great she is like, hey, I don't have anything to do until dawn. What about you? And he's like, no, no, unless you mean sexual intercourse with you, in which case that sounds fantastic. I have a room with a bed. We could go there and have sex, which is what they do. And it's this weirdly intense sex scene that reminded me a ton of Basic Instinct. It's like the sex scene from Top Gun. It's like silhouetted fucking and moaning. It's the kind of sex scene that makes parents and teenage children equally uncomfortable when you watch Except she pulls a goddamn knife on him. Yeah, well, she cuts a passion fruit and she eats it, but, you know, Bond doesn't seem too phased by it. Like, oh, you like knife play during sex, do you? (laughs) My kind of gal. Listen, I'm going to need you to use colors. When I start to cut you, if it bothers you, you say yellow. When it gets to be too much, you say red. But if you're into it, you say nothing. 
Bond wakes up the next day. Jinx is gone just the way he likes it. That was my note, too. It's just he wakes up. He's like, well, that's an awkward conversation I don't have to have. (laughs) Here's the thing. Jinx works for the NSA over with the U.S. government. But James Bond, he didn't know that at the time that they hooked up. She was just some woman that walked out of the ocean, drank his mojito, and then fucked him with a knife stuck somewhere on her naked body for protection and fruit carving. Yeah. And Jinx's boss is Michael Madsen, a.k.a. Falco, which I would watch a show called Jinx and Falco. That'd be a good show. Tonight on Jinx and Falco, Jinx goes undercover as a hooker, but finds more than she bargained for. Her long-lost sister, Jinx. Jinx and Falco, tonight on CBS, 11 Eastern, 10 o'clock Central. Boy, weirdly, it feels like Halle Berry could be doing network television before long. She isn't? Bond looks out the window with his bird-watching binoculars, which, again, that's all a nod to the original, original James Bond being a bird-watcher. He sees Jinx getting on a boat headed over to the Alvarez Clinic, where Zhao, our North Korean diamond-studded bad guy, is purportedly hiding. So Bond goes to the hotel room that that asshole from the bar earlier, Krug, he just opens up Krug's door and punches him in the head and knocks him out. And there's a whore laying on the bed in her underwear, smoking... And she's totally cool with this stranger assaulting her John because there ain't nothing in the world this lady ain't saying. Are we sure it's a prostitute? I mean, I'm not, I, I don't have any evidence against it. I'm just saying it was a weird reaction for her to just be like, so, uh, yeah, punching that guy out, are you? All right. If it wasn't a prostitute, that relationship between these two people was way, way on the way out. <laughs> That's what I'm hoping for. Right, it was over. She's just like, thank God, you know? Bring him back or don't. I don't care. You get him out of this hotel room for the day. I don't care how you do it. Punch him out, put him in a wheelchair. Fine with me. As long as I don't have to see his- Throw him in the ocean. I don't care. I don't need him. Yeah, give him the full Godfather. I don't care. You take him out in the middle of nowhere. You put two in his head for good measure. I was going to leave him for his cousin as soon as we got back to wherever the hell it is we came from. If I hook up with him with an inheritance, so much the better. That's what I say. Bond grabs Krug, and he also grabs the papers that were going to admit him to the clinic, and he puts Krug into a wheelchair, and Krug might be dead for all we know, or for all his girlfriend slash prostitute hopes, and he makes his way down to the boat, and he's going to head over to the medical clinic as well, with Krug being his key to get him to the front door. Yes, and Bond just kind of wheels the dude around once they get to Ila Los Organos. And is scoping the place and he sees a couple of doctors get stopped by guards to check their badges and shit. And he's like, well, I'll never get back there with this piece of shit. And so he just hurls the wheelchair at the just a, a quarter of the hallway to create a distraction. And as a bunch of doctors and nurses rush around to see what's going on with this guy, Bond goes out the window in the hallway, down a little bit, and then back in a window, but behind the guard station. So he effectively gets around. It's basically like taking one of the pipes in Super Mario Brothers to get around the Hammer Brothers. And so then he goes downstairs and finds a a security camera strangely pointed at the center of a mural in an otherwise unoccupied hallway. Mm -hmm. And so he's like, well, that seems curious. And he unplugs the camera and then starts scanning this mural and sure enough, finds a button to open up a secret door that takes him to a secret lab. Could you imagine the contractor that put that in there? Like, really? So let me get this straight. You want to have a secret 
button here hidden in the mural. But if anybody just pushes this, wouldn't you want it to be covered by something or a protection? Like somebody could just lean into it and find your secret hidden compartment. No, no, no. We want it to be accessible. All right, now let it blend in. But yeah, anyone walking down the hallway should be able to just press this button and get in our secret lab. All right, your check is cashed. You're the boss, whatever you say. I know I'm the boss. Now, get out of here. I got a whole dream mask I got to build. We cut to Jinx, and she's talking to Dr. Alvarez Quackenstein, the head of this organization. He says to Jinx, the process works in two phases. Let me explain. Step one, we kill your bone marrow, and we erase your DNA. Which, that sounds terrible. Then we replace the DNA with the DNA from orphans, runaways, people that want to be missed. The process is as painful as it sounds, and it lasts for a very, very long time. And I'm like, wait, hold on a minute. We're in an island off of Cuba, and you just said you're going to kill my bone marrow, erase my DNA, and replace it with something that you've extracted from orphans, runaways, and people that won't be missed. Yes, and sometimes we have to add in a little bit of soot. Just to make it stick. It, the suit is a bit of a bonding agent with all the orphan and, and castaway bone marrow. Which, uh, because of their poverty and, and, and their bad diets, their bone marrow is crumbly. Crumbly like ash. So we get some soot. We mix it together. We put it in your bones. It's going to be great. I also need to let you know as additional bonding agent, I put in a few drops of liquid smoke. Now, the upside of this is that when you fart, it smells like barbecue. Forever. For the little ones, we mix in a little bit of uh, big leak chew. So it stretches and grows with their bones. Huh? It's a good idea, right? Huh? The downside of that is when they fart, a chewing gum bubble comes out of their asshole. It makes an embarrassing popping sound that uh, can be detrimental to socialization. I am, it is not my specialty, but uh, I am sensitive to the psychological needs of children. But a lot of these children, interestingly, uh, because of the uh, their outcast, because of the bubble popping asshole, they too become orphans and castaways. And we can reharvest <laughs> much of that bone marrow, but maybe not so much Big League Chew the second time around. We didn't really get a chance to hear all of the fine details of what this guy is up to. <laughs> no. Um, because Jinx just kills him, and then she sets her file on fire, and she taps into his computer. Yeah, right. And finds uh, a picture of Zal and just random white dude. And the whole thing is like, hey, we're going to turn Zal into random white dude. And there's a a process by which this has to happen. And Zal uh-huh. is at like stage five of ten. So he's really yeah. pale and he's got creepy blue eyes, but he still doesn't look like a white dude. He just has kind of white dude skin. We see Bond sneaking around and he finds Zal. And he's sitting under this face treatment mask. Yeah. It's like this curved shield. It looks like it's got neon glow sticks that you would use at a rave all connected into it. It's real low tech. Yeah, and I like that Bond kind of taps on it with his gun like, ooh, Mr. Zhao. Mm, yes. Wake up, Zhao. It's me, Bond. Wake up. And when he doesn't wake up, then Bond just starts hitting buttons on some shit until it retracts, which stops. Also worth pointing out, there were some uh, voices playing to, I don't know, dreams or something. I don't know. They don't really explain it. It might be Blofeld from Honor Majesty's Secret Service like hey baby you like fried chicken now baby (laughs) you're american you know what you hate taxes 
Helping out the poor. If you see an orphan, throw it in a sack, slap a label on it, deliver to Cuba. They'll know what to do with it, baby. Look, we've got an 800 number, baby. All you gotta do, call that number, tell them you got a kid in a bag. They'll even send you the package. That's the (laughs) Spectre promise. You'll also get a $100 gift card to Sizzler. You know what I'm talking about, baby. The best buffet America has to offer. So to wake him up, James Bond grabs the IV and squeezes it like they're playing a medical version of Charlie McDennis. How this doesn't immediately explode his forearm into a Popeye impression is beyond my understanding. <laughs> I really love it. And he wakes up. Ah! And Sal immediately is like, the fuck? And then they just start fighting. Bond snatches a necklace from around Zhao's neck that appears to have a bullet hanging from it. There, there's a fun bit where uh, when he turns off the MRI machine, he's leaping over the table or whatever to go after Zal. And as he's doing it, he catches his gun as it falls from the magnet. And it's like, ah, that's kind of a cool guy James Bond thing to do. I'm I'm on board with this. I didn't see that at all. It was pretty cool. And, th- and then right after that is when he grabs the, the necklace. And then Bond chases after him, but outside in the halls, like the alarms and sprinklers going off and it's just fucking chaos. Bond then sees jinx in the hallway and he's like what are you doing here we had sex last night yeah what are you doing here does she know that he's james bond super spy i would assume so everyone else does uh, if, fair if enough. Chang knows, how would an agent for the NSA not? We see Zhao. He jumps out of this second story stained glass window wearing nothing but sleep pants and just tucks and rolls to the ground and sprints away. Right. And Bond is chasing him. But as he's getting to that window, Jinx is, has left this little bomb in a file cabinet, which blows. It would have been nice if they had shown her doing that because you filled in the gaps on that. I assume the same thing, but we don't know that. Right. You know, that Dr. Alvarez, he's abducting orphans and unwanted street urchins. Who the hell knows? He might have had a meth lab in his file cabinet for all we know. Truly no way to be sure. No. But it does not bond to the ground where he sees the dead doctor. He also sees the remains of uh, Jinx's file. And he's just like, hey, I think this might be a clue. That's the woman I had sex with last night. I saw in the hallway moments ago. Wait a minute. She used to be a white woman? What kind of a clinic is this? She didn't really. No. (laughs) He is just such a shitty spy. So Jinx has made it outside and is now chasing after Zal, like firing her her gun at the the helicopter and shooting people right out of the helicopter. First off, why was this helicopter there? Were they just waiting for Zal to finish up his treatment? Like, I'll be back in a couple hours, guys. Keep it running. I don't want the helicopter all hot inside. Keep the AC going. Man, there are helicopters in all of these movies. There must be just some deal that the Broccoli family has with some sort of helicopter manufacturer. Because they are all... Oh, every movie we have looked at in this series has had a helicopter of some shape. Well, that's how they do a lot of the filming. It's like, well, we're going to use the helicopter to film the movie. Why don't we just film the helicopter? Right. Well, you asked me why there's a helicopter. Because there's fucking helicopters everywhere in the world of James <laughs> <Right>. Bond. <laughs> And there's one in the the back of a plane. There, there's a helicopter in the back of a plane in this movie. It's the aviation equivalent of the turducken. <laughs> right. 
I got a glider inside a helicopter, inside an airplane, inside a space shuttle. It's delicious. Back inside, James Bond, he can't get out of the clinic. So he grabs a couple of compressed air tanks and then whacks off the top of one of them, which knocks a hole in the wall. And so he pops outside to see what's doing with all the gunfire and the helicoptering because he's like, "Mm, yes, I should be out there being involved with this, I feel. While he is escaping through the wall, Halle Berry is still shooting shooting people out of the helicopter. Bond arrives just in time to see the helicopter get away and Jinx be cornered by a couple of soldiers. They aim their guns at her bow. Mm -hmm. Her back is against the edge of this clinic which looks like an old stone prison like a spanish fortress which is exactly what it is and she's trapped Bo. where's she gonna go yeah so she raises her hands then takes off her dress so she's down to her bathing suit oh these guards get mesmerized by the sight of her big beautiful breasts yeah it's like the lady ferrari from cannonball run you know like every time she gets pulled over she just unzips the jumpsuit and then she kind of <laughs> waggles her eyebrows at bond and then just dives back Backwards into the ocean. You make it sound like she went off the high dive at the local rec center. She is a good 500 feet, if that, up in the air. And it's like, ah, and then immediately comes up. There's no recovery. It's just she hits the water, immediately pops up, gets on a boat, which lucky for her i guess it was it happened to be there is that her guy who's this guy how did he know that she would be escaping slash attempting suicide yeah i got a lot of questions about this but she kind of gives a little tip of the the hat to bond yeah she does the two finger see you later pal meanwhile the guards are just like hey did you have anything to do with any of this and he's just like "Hmm, no me no no and they're like, all right, back to work then. I was going to shoot her as well. We're on the same side, you and me. To be honest, I'm not sure what side you're on. I was just going to shoot her. Let me ask you a question. How would you finish this sentence? Your mother-in-law is so fat. Anything? Anything. All right. Well. Adios, amigos. Back to the drawing board, as they say. Oh, look, I've got this bullet. And he opens up the bullet, and inside are some of these conflict diamonds. Which the Cuban sleeper agent confirms that they're the same chemical makeup or whatever. And then Bond finds a little laser signature from a guy named Gustav Graves, who discovered a bunch of diamonds in Iceland a year ago is the story. But the sleeper agent and Bond are smoking cigars and getting a good chuckle over the fact that, oh no, it turns out what he's really doing is taking all these conflict diamonds that he got from Bond and saying that he found them in Iceland. Okay. I I was so confused by the fact that he found a diamond mine in Iceland. He found a diamond mine in Arkansas. Like, what? I guess they can be anywhere, maybe? I don't know. I don't know how No, they work. can't. <laughs> they're, they're not anywhere i don't know they just wanted to film in the ice and so money penny is now eavesdropping on a conversation between m and falco aka michael manson mm-hmm, aka jinx's boss right who is on the phone with m saying like what do you mean your agent jumped off a british goddamn boat and escaped into hong kong into the Hong Kong Harbor. Disgusting. And then he makes his way to Cuba. One, how in the hell did that happen? And then he blows up a regeneration clinic? Is that a thing? What kind of slop shop you running over there in England, lady? Put your house in order. We're gonna do it for you. Yeah. Yeehaw. 
click. I like that uh, move from a CIA agent being like, get your house in order or we're going to fucking do it for you. You fucking yeah. dumbass <laughs> Brits. Stupid Americans. <laughs> stupid Americans. They're the ones who are like, hey, you're the one who lost your own agent that we, by the, I mean, from the American point of view, a British agent that had been held in North Korea for a long time, busts out of his prison hospital room and then immediately goes to Cuba. So they're like, hey, you need to take care of this dude or we're gonna. So I am on Michael Madsen's side, which is a strange place to find myself in most cases. Yes. But I am on his side for this. And then Bond, meanwhile, flies back to London, which you know, Chad, because London calling by the Clash plays. Well, and he's also on a British Airways flight. Right. Right. And he's wearing British flag socks uh-huh. and has a crown on. And then you're like, hey, that that's a pretty British scene. I wonder if they could crank this up a little bit. So the next scene finds a billionaire philanthropist, Gustav Graves, uh-huh. the one whose initials were carved into the conflict diamonds. Well, he leaps out of a plane with a parachute adorned with the United Kingdom's national flag, the good old Union Jack. And as he's gliding down, the paparazzi below is standing in front of Buckingham Palace, taking pictures of Gustav Graves as he ignores basic dental hygiene and eats a plate of haggis while sipping some tea where he lands and says, Hey there, fellas! It's one heck of a wonderful day to become a knight here in front of Buckingham Palace by the Queen of England. Yeah, and all the reporters are going crazy go nuts for him. And they're all asking questions like, Hey, how come you're a globetrotting adrenaline junkie who never sleeps? and has a space project called Icarus you won't tell anybody about. Also, we heard you're trying out for the Olympic fencing team. And he's like, all that's right, fellas. By the way, it's not a secret project. It's a surprise project. And there's the difference. So bye, everybody. Mr. Grace, have have, you've named your project Icarus. Have you read the story Icarus before? No, I haven't. How does it end? You know what? Don't tell me. I I hope it's happy. Let's assume that it's happy. Uh, Mr. Graves, did you consider naming your project anything else? Uh, Funny you ask. We considered Project Pompeii. Uh, Chernobyl Rama, Exxon Valdez in Space, Three Mile High Island, I came up with that one, Tiny Star Wars Death Star, Supersized Diamonds Are Forever Space Laser Finale, which is basically what this is. You see, in that movie, they built a space laser, but uh, you know what? I've said too much. I'll I'll unveil the details a little bit later in Iceland next to my diamond mine, as well as my candy cane factory. I would have called it Ishtar. When he's down on the ground, we get introduced to Miranda Frost, who, as it turns out, should we just reveal this here? Yeah, why not? She she is a double agent. She works for MI6, and she's also working for Gustav Graves. Right. And I just, we need to go ahead and address something right now. Gustav Graves is Moon Jr. who died at the beginning of our film. Yeah, he's okay? Moon Unit Gustav. He is Korean by birth uh-huh. and has had his physical appearance changed to look like this British-born Ewan McGregor knockoff. I would go Paul Bettany, but I, I'll allow it. Bo, this guy whipped up a faked persona, Gustav Graves, built a financial empire, gained worldwide fame as a billionaire and philanthropist. He became a fencing champion over the span of a year and two months. Yes, all that is correct. All of that's impossible. Why didn't they leave James Bond in prison for five years or 10 years? Well, because then the other movies never would have happened. Because at a certain point, <laughs> it's like if he's if he's in jail for 10 years in the prime of his life, we, we're back to Roger Moore. 
forth. But it doesn't make any sense. The timeline doesn't add up. Of course not. Here's the thing that has allowed me to enjoy these latter James Bond movies in a way that I've never enjoyed the early ones. They're completely stupid and none of it makes any sense. So I've just given up on that. And uh, and my only metric now is, is it boring? That is a very low bar. Not even as a catalog of films mm-hmm. looking at as a standalone motion picture you are saying that moon jr went off that cliff into the waterfalls and in 14 months he is now this lily white blonde haired guy that has made his way to the cover of rich asshole magazine and he's this playboy richard branson shithead and he built a fortress of solitude in the middle of iceland That's right. next to a dummy diamond uh-huh. mine oh and by the way he has project Icarus that is like a miniature Death Star that blasts lasers at the Earth? None of this makes any sense. No, of course not. Yeah. But it should. You could have it make I mean, you could, but then you wouldn't be making a James Bond movie. You'd be making a Mission Impossible movie. You'd be making a better movie. You'd be making a better movie, which probably doesn't exist. So Miranda Frost, she's a double agent, and she's going to screw over James Bond later. He catches up with both of them at this fencing club. And who else is there, Bo? It seems to be run by Verity, a.k.a. Madonna. And Madonna, when she sees James Bond, apparently they've known each other for a while. And there's a whole lot of, so, are you keeping up your tip up, James? And he's like, hmm, yes, dick stuff. I appreciate that. It's just a whole lot of coy back and forth, but Madonna is just not much of an actress and never has been. It is so jarring when she shows up in this movie. The only person that would have made it worse is if this fencing instructor was played by Miss Piggy (laughs) and James Bond walked in and she's just like, oh, Jamesy. Hello, Piggy. Uh, I'm over here being fancy. Come on, give us a hug and a kiss. Well, of course I will, Piggy. You know you're one of my favorites. Give my best to Kermit. Oh, oh, Kermit, we're on the outs. What if you and I were to start making bacon? Well, (laughs) just ask the concierge. I don't understand what that means. My No. Well, that's one hot dog. No. Get a load of this guy. Madonna is like, hey, James Bond. It turns out that the best fencer here isn't Gustav Graves, even though you would think it would be. In fact, it's his partner, Miranda Frost. She's his publicist. Hey, James Bond, if it weren't for some drugs that a guy that she fought in the Olympics did, she would have the gold in fencing. But Gustav Graves only plays for money, but now no one will bet him now. Would you like to meet him, James Bond? I just want to go on record and say, one, Madonna is not a very good actress, but I do think her performance in Evita is very good, and she got screwed by not getting a Best Actress nomination for that movie. Uh, I mean, it's the best of a bad bunch. She's good in it. Eh, she's Because she's singing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's and acting. You can sing and act at the same time, just like you don't have to talk and you can act at the same time. I'll have to see proof of that, Chad. I don't believe that you can have, what would you call these movies? Silent films? That's stupid. <laughs> James Bond is like, eh, of course I want to meet him. And so Verity introduces him to Gustav Graves, uh, a.k.a. Moon Jr. And Moon is playing it real coy here where he's like say have we met before pal you look real familiar i like the cut of your jib 
Hey, do you like to gamble? Because I hear that you do. I also heard you like to get drunk. And you like to have sex with women you barely know. I can't handle the last one, but I can maybe take care of the first two. What do you say you and I fence for a thousand dollars a point? But Bond's like, mm, yes, a thousand dollars. How quaint. I'd rather play for something a little more dramatic. Like one of these diamonds. Right, but he doesn't do that at first. He sandbags oh. him. Because he's like, thousand dollars a point, yes. And then Gustav hits him a couple of times. Gustav is like, hey, I got you two in a row. Oh, yeah. uh, how about that, Bond? And Bond is like, oh, yes, I'm quite shaken. Perhaps we should up the wager. I got a quick story I want to tell you. Please. When I was in fourth grade, I used to get dropped off at school early in the morning and I would sit in the hallway with a kid whose mom was a teacher. And he told me one day he pulled out this bag. It was a paper bag and it was full of Star Wars figures, more Star Wars figures than I'd ever seen in my life. And I was like, oh my God, where'd you get these? And he goes, oh, you know that kid Mickey from this other class? I was like, yeah. He goes, I invite him over to my house every day and we play Defender on Atari. That's how old I am. And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, and what I do is I let him win the first two or three games. And I say, boy, you're really good. We should bet. He was like, and then I bet him some Star Wars figures and I let him win a couple. And then I go all in and then he goes all in. And then I beat him at Defender and I take all of his Star Wars figures. And I was like, this fourth grader was hustling kids. Yeah. He was on He was on the grift early. <laughs> Grifting for Star Wars figures. I love that shit. <laughs> Human beings are terrible people. My, my favorite story that my stepmom ever told me was that when she was in college, she didn't she didn't smoke pot, but everyone she knew in her dorm did. And so on Friday and Saturday nights, she would stock up on a bunch of snacks and food and shit. And so when everything shut down and everybody was good and drunk and stoned, she would go around peddling her wares at a hefty markup. Nice. Yeah. And she was like, oh, yeah, I paid for a lot of my books and shit just by <laughs> selling cupcake hostess cupcakes to stone bastards on a Friday night. <laughs> I remember when we were in high school and uh, clubs, you know, like choir and shit that people who enjoyed the company of other people, not like you and me, <laughs> yeah. they would raise money by selling candy bars that they bought wholesale and then they sold it in the throughout the school for 50 cents a piece. And there were a couple of kids that I knew that just got on that bandwagon and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm selling it for Glee Club or I'm selling it for Soccer Club. And they were clearing like a hundred bucks a week in markup on candy. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I didn't do anything like nah, that. Nah, I, I didn't. I was not that motivated. No. That, that seemed like a lot of work. Gr grifting <laughs> is its own job, you know? Like, that, that doesn't happen on its own. You got to be a grifter. Not Like, you are a grifter or a grifty. Those are the two states of being. And I will forever be a grifty. <laughs> so we're in this fight. And, and yeah, so Bond pulls out this diamond. And there's a whole back and forth where Bond is basically telling him, like, I know this is a conflict diamond, and I know you're a piece of shit. And then they start fencing again, only it just turns into Peter and the chicken from Family Guy, where it does. They, they start with fencing foils, and then that spills into the hallway, uh -huh. which ends up with them getting bigger swords. And taking off their shirts to show off their muscles. <laughs> yeah, and that's the whole bit, right? Is that the, the new rule is a, a shot across the torso that drops draws blood is the winner the first one who splits the other six pack is the winner 
Ah, James, that sounds like a right great idea. Come on, let's go for it, buddy. Yeah, and so by the the end of this thing, they're just fighting with like broadswords stolen from suits of armor in the streets of London. They've duct taped broken bottles to two <laughs> by fours. Right, it's just a bunch of road warrior weapons that they're using now. <laughs> Tina Turner comes out and who runs by town? Stay tuned. <laughs> two Brits into one man league. <laughs> yeah. Remembering the before times. So Bond ends up cutting this guy's belly right. open. And and M- M- Miranda like, Frost has to get in the way after he cuts him. Boys, boys, boys. Right. And she's like, knock this shit off. And then Gustav Graves gets out of the, the fountain that he has fallen backwards into. How embarrassing. And sees the blood on his chest. And he's like, say, pal, that was great. How about you come to my big demonstration I got going on this weekend? And then they shake hands. <laughs> and like Miranda Frost like, all right, you two, shake hands. Be good boys. Hmm? They both go downstairs a little later after they've cleaned up. And then Graves gives James Bond a check. And he's like, here you go, buddy. Fair and square. I'm like, what was the check? Like a million dollars? 50 bucks? He just spitballed what the diamond cost. I don't know. Dude, I got to tell you, my absolute favorite thing about this scene is in the background seeing people carry in replacement chairs and portraits for the shit that Bond just broke. You think these kind of fights break out in the uh, highbrow leather club on a regular basis? I don't know, but I thought it was absolutely the finest detail of this movie of somebody being like, you know what? Have them replacing that shit. I thought they were taking out the shit they broke. No. Not bringing in the new stuff to replace. No, they're bringing, they're taking stuff upstairs and the, the portrait is, uh, is whole. It's them replacing it. I love it. And then Bond says to Miranda Frost as they're kind of breaking up this little party. Eh, so will I have the pleasure of you at this event? And she says, Oh, Mr. Bond, you'll never have that pleasure. And he kind of gives this wincing grin like, Oh, that was a good burn. Yes, you got me there, Frost. But perhaps I will get you in the end. And I mean ass. I'm going to give you what I call my rim shot. Ba-dump! Dump! And I would say that with that ba-dump-a-dump, I would say you have a fine ba-donk-a-donk. <laughs> Put that one in the book. I like it! Bond, you're getting better, old chap. You're getting better. See you later, Rosamund Pike. Yes. Oh, you're the gone girl. So, bye-bye. Have you heard the seven words that you're not allowed to say in bed? Don't. Stop. That hurts. Please. Quit. Ouch. (laughs) Red light. Red light. (laughs) Some guy shows up and he's like, Mr. James Bond? Mr. James Bond? Are you Mr. James Bond? Yes. Mm, Yes, I'm I'm Mr. James Bond. (laughs) Package for you, Mr. James Bond. Are you Miss Piggy? Phone call for Miss Piggy. Are you Miss Piggy? (laughs) Oh, yes. I'm Miss Piggy. Um, I'll be right. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> could you could you smell the cat please oh may, may i I? <laughs> I did not expect miss piggy to show up twice in this episode no one expects miss piggy her chief oh my god i'm oh, sorry i will stop right there <laughs> bond opens the package and inside it is this decorative key yeah. which he instinctively knows leads to a special door in london that takes him down into an abandoned train station an abandoned station for abandoned agents is uh <laughs> is what he calls it and m is there and she's like listen james you're an utter and complete failure 
But we do believe that there is something fishy about this Gustav Graves. And he's like, eh, so what do you know about him? All I know is he's a good sword fighter. Well, James, the world has changed a lot since you were gone for the last one year and two months. Here's what we know about Graves. He's an orphan. His DNA was not harvested yet at a clinic in Nevada, Cuba. He was born in Argentine, and he grew up next to a diamond mine. He studied engineering, and he found that there were diamonds in Iceland. He gives half of his money to charity, or at least that's what his MySpace page says. Now, what did you find out about the Cuban clinic? Yeah, and it, it sh- she's like, you know, we believe there was such a facility and bond really spikes the ball on this one and he's like "Mm, yes well there used to be such a facility but someone who was recently thrown aside by mi6 blew it all up um wonder what super spy might have done Mm. that let me just scratch the old peanut I think his name goes uh, something like J. Bond. No, 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 that wasn't it. It was James B. Couldn't have been me because I believe someone looking quite like yourself once said I was of use to no one. And turns out I blew up a whole fucking facility. Yes. And by the way, the facility allowed people to get DNA transplants and gave them a new identity. It's a more permanent version of what they do in the Mission Impossible films, but less invasive as John Woo's action-packed thriller Face Off. Same concept, just more poorly done and cheaply executed in this movie yeah and so M is like fine fine you're a little bit useful but you have to be careful bond and he's like then just let me get on with my job bond tells him you remember zhao from the beginning of our movie well he was there and i got these diamonds from a necklace that i ripped off of his chest i think that the clinic is a front for laundering diamonds and she's immediately like shut up until you can prove that you keep your filthy bond mouth shut We need to tread carefully, Bond. Graves is politically connected. He's been around for almost eight months on planet Earth. You must be careful, James. Yeah, and and so after he he announces, like, let me get on with my job. You cut to him cleaning a gun in his office, I guess, when he hears gunshots. Uh Uh-huh. And I'm thinking suicide. (laughs) And then another agent gone. There goes 004. There's Money Penny. With a Valentine pinned to her chest. The old Valentine that James Bond sent her. I choo choo choose you. Like, oh. If you are reading this, I am not fine, says the note. <laughs> he opens this office door and, like, people are just lying dead in the Shot hallway. Through the heart, and you're to blame. Money Penny. Speaking of getting, giving love a bad name, Money Penny is dead on her desk. Yeah, he walks outside and Money Penny's been killed, and you're like, whoa, what's happening? Oh, wait, this is bullshit. Right. As soon as Money Penny is dead, you're like, oh, well, this is fake. <laughs> right. Because these movies are never brave enough to just kill Money Penny off screen, you know? Like, if it happened, she would have to sacrifice herself and a bunch of shit. Also, I did not care for this Money Penny. I apologize to the actress who plays Money Penny in these particular films, but having watched all of the Brosnan films, the relationship between the two of them is much more desperate in one of the films i don't think it was goldeneye there's a reference about her sticking a cigar in her vagina a la bill clinton and it leans more heavily into the i really 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 want to fuck you as opposed to i think the original money penny and even the money penny of the daniel craig films where there is a professional respect between the two of them and it really feels like they're doing this dance as opposed to no seriously i don't wear panties to work every day in hopes that you are going to show up and pull down your pants we'll get to the finale 
but that's that's yeah, the movie should have ended with that. But, all, but anyway, yeah, 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 so right. so Bond then just starts shooting a bunch of assailants, and he busts into M's office where a guy is holding her, and he kind of does the is it the predator thing where he shoots through? No, it's a Robo RoboCop. Yeah, that's what it is. And he shoots through M's side or something to kill the assailant, and then it turns out this was all a big VR training session because uh, he pulls off these glasses and Q appears in the form of John Cleese. Was it Goldeneye that M bows out in? I think that's his last one. No, it was the movie before this. There is a transition from the old Q to the new Q. Right. Maybe that's um, Goldeneye is, hey, here's John Cleese. Yeah, they introduce him and they transition throughout the Bond okay. era. So it's not as hard of a break as they did with Moneypenny. M seems to have a bit of a transition as well, that this is a new person taking over this particular job. I never cared for John Cleese as Q. I could see from a casting standpoint why they chose him, but he's someone that I want to see be funny. I'm kind of like when we did Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, he's playing a dramatic role and you're just sort of waiting for the humor. In this, it doesn't work as well. I agree with that, although I do think there's one delivery that he has that's like, ah, that's kind of the John Cleese I want in this, but... Right, but that's not Q. Right, but so he shows up and he's like, hello, 00, and Bond is just like, eh, yeah, that's good. I like how he took one element of my name and changed it to something derogatory. I could do that with my crowd work. I've read in my comedy books that is juxtaposition. But he finds the uh, from Russia with Love jetpack and he's like, oh, you still have this old thing. Does it still work? And turns it on. And it was like, oh, that's kind of cute. Yeah. And in the background, you see the crocodile submarine from Octopussy. And at one point he finds the shoe from Thunderball that has the tipped blade sticking out of it. And James Bond leans over and gives it a, like a sniff. (laughs) He gives it the Jeff Bridges, the contender sniff, which I like. It reminds me of what I imagine everyone who works at the bowling alley slash skating rink from earlier in this episode, what they do after they give it the each shoe a little with the spray when no one's looking they just kind of lean over and (laughs) see what's doing yeah then q gives him a couple of gadgets one is a ring that breaks bulletproof glass there's an invisible aston martin this time around Uh uh-huh q gives him a manual is like read the manual bond this will tell you about how your new car works and bond tosses it into the air and these twin shotguns on the aston martin blow it up and he's like got through it in a couple of seconds Q, because I blew it up. Q, this is the John Cleese line I like, where he says, I wish I could make you disappear. It's a real throwaway of just like, I hate this fucking guy. And uh, I can always sympathize with that in a Bond film. We cut over to M's office, and it's here that you find out that Miranda Frost is a secret agent slash gold medal winning fencer. Mm -hmm. And M says, what do you know about Bond? And Miranda Frost says, he's a wild one, a danger to himself and others. He's a womanizer. A man like him could blow my cover. And M says, Bond is going to Iceland while you stay undercover with graves. Over your three years in cryptology, you haven't fraternized with any other fellow agents. And I was like, wait, pump the brakes. She's been with MI6 for three years. Graves got blowed up in the hovercraft crash a year and a half ago. That's right. Do we just ignore all of these timelines? And then later they say that they were college chums at Oxford or Harvard or something. The implication is that they were in cahoots before he ever went over the waterfall. 
Because she was the one who was also blamed for setting Bond up, which happened before the waterfall and all that stuff. I'm just more focused on the fencing. She was in the Olympics, and then he went full Jeff Galuli and had her competition overdose on drugs. Right. All back, right. Back in college or something? Yeah, it doesn't matter. And so M is just like, look, I just need your assurance that you will under no circumstances ever sleep with James Bond. And Rosamund Pike says, 100% him. Under no circumstances, you could fire my vagina directly at his penis and it will never enter me and Ev is like good now you can keep him from fucking everything up like he normally does and so we cut to bond rolling down a highway in iceland in his new invisicar to an ice palace that looks kind of like the sydney opera house but smaller yeah it's this ice palace and it's next to these failed prototypes for epcot spaceship earth like these little geodesic domes off to the side and when he arrives there he meets a guy who introduces him himself as mr kill one l thank you very much and bond immediately is like "Uh, yes that's a name to die for yes yes that was a good one then we see gustav graves piloting some kind of rocket sled over the ice and when he Mm -hmm. comes to a stop like right where bond and kill and all those guys are the rocket sled stops by means of a parachute right but it comes to a final stop like inches away from from bond's car Uh and because he's a good driver i guess but then vlad his his russian stoolie he's like the head of engineering who he met what six months ago uh they probably went to college too he was oh, okay. probably in college with Rosamund Pike and him. And he's like, hey, say, you want 324 miles per hour is good speed. And Gustav Graves is like, hey, it's not enough. Whoever broke that uh, dorsal engine uh, cut out at one point. Somebody needs to fix that or some heads are going to roll, I'll tell you. Hey, James Bond. Good to see you, buddy, here in Iceland. You know, I live on the edge, Mr. Bond. And that's where you know who a man really is, Mr. Bond. On the edge, you know, under the skin that's been altered through DNA reconstructive surgery in cuba you know what mr bond forget i said that last part let's go inside yes i understand the metaphor yes it's a, i i agree i also like to live dangerously i don't use prophylactics <laughs> ever except when masturbating that's the odd thing about it it makes for easy cleanup I learned that from my mentor, a hobo on the street who masturbated a lot. I was an orphan, you see. I almost collected for my marrow (laughs) before MI6 found me and wiped off the shit. (laughs) So Miranda Frost is charged with taking James Bond to his room. And he's like, this is some ice palace. It's crazy. The ground is covered in fog and all of the waitresses roll around on rollerblades. Seems like a real hazard if you were to ask me. Also... Penguins with martinis on trays. And she's like, yes, Mr. Bond, it takes a special balance of heat and cold to make this ice palace stand up uh, as it is. Without one or the other, it would collapse. And if you say trained a giant space ray on it, it would just melt. Did she really say that about the heat and the cold? Yes. I missed that because I didn't understand. I'm like, how do you have hot springs inside an ice palace? That really feels counterproductive. Yeah, it's a real throwaway thing about like the body heat of the people there and stuff like that. Oh, okay. I Well, I got that. That like, hey, there's a bunch of people in here. We got to crank up the AC so this place doesn't melt. But a little bit later, we see hot springs and it's like, where is that water coming from? The earth. All and right. then James Bond here makes a little dig at her about like, you must be right at home in an ice palace on account of your frigid vagina. And 
your last name being Frost. James Bond subtlety at its finest. At least nobody's named <laughs> Pussy in this movie. I guess that's something. But Bond asks about like the buildings like, what's going on with those geodesic domes? And she says, oh, well, that is Gustav Graves' personal quarters and the entrance to the mine, of course. And then we also see Jinx arrive outside just to let us know like oh she's here and then that's all that happens in that cutaway but then we cut back to frost leaving bond alone in his room which by the way has a giant ass swan ice bed yeah and a table carved out of ice and chairs carved out of ice you could not build this ice palace in 14 months and also it is the most impractical thing i've ever seen in my whole life like why would you ever sit in that chair it would be freezing you wouldn't like none of this this is usable how are you sleeping in this bed as you get warm in the bed wouldn't it just melt i would think your body would just stick to it right like that kid in christmas story you know with your cock stuck to the bed you talk about screaming and yelling i don't think dumping hot water on it's gonna make things all that much better either. yeah how does everyone in this joint not have hypothermia but <laughs> miranda frost manages to get out of this bedroom without having sex with james bond which is a rarity in these movies and he decides to go to the big party that's happening later that night and he runs into jinx there and ha- and he can flirt a little more uh with her mm, yes mojito mojito remember in havana huh yeah when i said mojito and then you drink some huh and then we, then we had sex i have sex with a lot of people your face does you not you pulled a knife a on me uh during sex and then fed us both some fruit yeah again you're pretty much describing my routine really? wow yes um you also put your finger in my rectum remember that it was i remember no. it well I have to say. No. Anything else? Good timing? Does that ring a bell? (laughs) Not at all. All right. Well, uh, we did, and it was great. I was great, if you don't recall. Where were we when we had sex, and were you the only one there? Yes, it was one-on-one. I'd like to play that game tonight. But where were we? Was this in It was in Cuba. No, no. It was tropical. You jumped off a, a giant fortress into the water. Yes, I remember you. You that were was one of those me. soldiers that I had sex no, with. The I... two guys who pointed the guns at me and you let me go because I let the both of you finger cuff me I'd... earlier in the day after I... I had sex with that idiot British guy who couldn't get an erection. There you go, idiot British guy. I think you're onto something. I think I knew him. You know, that idiot wanted to be a stand-up comic and after he passed out, I read through his book and it was pathetic. It was all concierge and hotel based comedy it's like the guy has never had an honest date or lived anywhere but a motel room he had six pages with just ramblings on the game of solitaire (laughs) also there's a lot of stuff about being underwater Uh, like scuba jokes i mean it was just hard to relate something about a seagull at one point i didn't really follow any of that it was just a mess so there was a gap in the middle of just empty pages but the backup this was the weird part he had this whole section that said you might be a spy if if you find yourself in a scuba suit over a tuxedo you might be a spy <laughs> if you brush your teeth with nitroglycerin explosives you might be a spy if you have ever blown off your left hand when you try to wind your watch you might be a spy if you've ever pretended to be paul bunyan on top of the golden gate bridge 
You might be a spy. If you have ever pretended to be Asian, you might be a spy. Or you might be Mickey Rooney. Outside, Zhao arrives in a red pickup. <laughs> oh yeah, we're talking about this movie. And goes inside the you know personal facility of Gustav Graves, his, his home. And inside, he's just wearing this crazy wire mask that looks like some real David Lynch shit. And then he says, oh yes, I was just in my dream machine. That helps me from going crazy after my face-off surgery. Turns out I don't ever sleep, ever. During this scene, there are these weird marks on Graves' head that I thought were going to ultimately be cracks, like in the seal of his new face, they get pulled away, Mm -hmm. like some sort of Mission Impossible type film. But it just kind of turns out that I think the dude had some sort of blemishes during filming of the movie. Maybe? He's got these big pump knot marks on his head that are splitting apart. Maybe it was just bad makeup. Get one of the broccoli kids in here to patch his shit up. Again, the editor is so shitty in this movie that i don't look for a lot of internal logic from scene to scene all right so miranda frost finds jinx and bond flirting yeah talking about their dicks and her vagina a whole lot using (laughs) using double entendres and sexual innuendo if you heard two adults saying these things to one another you would think it was a joke this is not sexy talk under any circumstances it's a lot of i really like the look of that celery stalk have you ever considered where it might go later tonight it looks a little too big and hard yes but what if i put something wet on it you think something like that could fit in my mouth i don't know maybe your hands it it is the worst uh miranda frost is like do you two weirdos want to go see this icarus demonstration it's in five minutes get outside shitheads oh yes uh, look jinx let's put a pin in the vagina thing and circle back around to it after this presentation remember the last thing i said was i've never seen anything that big or wet now you pick it up from there when we come back later don't say anything now i want to be surprised i want to be surprised they go out to this uh, announcement where gustav graves is making a big speech about diamonds made my dreams real and now they can make everyone's dreams real who here saw the movie diamonds are forever a james bond anybody see the movie real genius show of hands yeah anyone i no. yeah i saw real, real genius you like that you like that how they took the sun's rays and they focused them together well we're gonna do that to i don't know grow crops are you gonna make some popcorn uh, if you want popcorn we could grow po- uh, corn as our crop and then turn that into popcorn that's a great idea bobby write that down this guy's got a good idea all right, I'll catch you after the presentation. <laughs> so here we go, everybody. Behold, the Icarus Project or something. Here we go. Hit the button, guys. It's just a big satellite what reflects the sun onto the Earth. Uh-huh. And Gustav Graves is like, that's right. Completely harmless, non-sun radioactive rays shining down on you. No extra heat or lasers or anything like that. It's, uh, perfectly harmless harmless uh in fact uh hey i'll tell you what we'll just turn it right off uh there we go everything's back to dark again hey everybody wasn't that crazy this is gonna be great for the whole world uh you can see how there'd be really no downside to having a giant sun ray uh circling the earth so you have no idea how icarus is about to change your world don't read anything into that last statement and i also just want to say thank you for coming out here into the middle of nowhere i know you traveled probably anywhere from from 18 to 28 hours to get here to watch a demonstration that lasted maybe, I don't know, by my count, 12 seconds. But 
Hey, thank you. I really appreciate it. We've got more penguins inside with more drinks. We got girls on rollerblades. Um, we got hot water if anybody's dick gets stuck to a pole. Go inside, have a good time, everybody. Later on, we're going to use the uh, the sun satellite to carve a giant ice slide uh, that everybody's going to be able to take right into the hot springs. It's going to be quite something. So uh, everybody get a little bit more drunk because uh, we're going to have a pool party later. All right. I'm looking at you, Dana. I see you already. You're well, a little bit ahead of me i'm just kidding i'm just kidding dana knows you know what i spare no expense i got the uh, jimmy buffett cover band the parrot heads they're gonna be uh, performing over next to the margaritaville buffet so have a good time everybody the evening's yours hey remember if you have any questions miranda frost is our director here don't be afraid to bring any concerns uh, right to her and she'll she'll send them right up the ladder to me also zao uh shout out to Z- oh you're still dead sorry about that Okay, Zhao's not here, everybody. Just uh, a little bit of uh, crossed wires. But uh, Buffet, you heard about that in the water slide and the drinks and the penguins. Okay, see everybody after. Bond, of course, lingers as he watches Vlad and Mr. Kill kind of... I know it's stupid, but they package up the controls for this Icarus satellite. Like it's a DJ. <laughs> like they're wedding DJs. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that's everything we got. Uh, be sure to tip your caterers. They did a great job here tonight. We're going to be <laughs> taking the death ray over to the uh, Kaminsky wedding. So if you want more, uh, be sure to hit up our website. And uh, of course, we got our, our SoundCloud page uh, for, for some of our originals. I've got some business cards up here for anybody who want to pick those up. We do bar mitzvahs, uh, quinceañeras, sweet 16s, anything you want. Just let us know. Uh, we'll show up. We'll spin some tombs. We can also blast a giant laser out of the sky as well. So just let us know. The only thing we're not going to do is a gender reveal. It's just real complicated right now. Well, the last time we did that with the laser, California caught on fire. That's on us. We know that. James Bond sneaks into his invisible car and follows them all sneaky-like. He doesn't do shit with this invisible car in this movie. No, it, it is useful this time and one other time, and, and then only kinda. I submit that he could have done everything that he did in a normal car and been equally as stealth. I don't know, he follows pretty close behind these guys in a car. Wouldn't they hear a car behind them? Yeah, well, you know, that's the beauty of an Aston Martin just purrs like a kitten shed. <laughs> Aston Martin, official car, James Bond franchise. By the way, drink a Heineken, Campari, if you missed that earlier. Uh, Also, uh, you can catch the Bondorific pizza right now at Pizza Hut, so you might want to check that out too, kids. Stop by Subway and pick up the 007-inch sandwich, one inch longer than our standard six-inch sub. It's uh, Italian sausage, of course, uh, pepperoni, salami, cucumber. Eggplant and oil. (laughs) Raw bacon, a piece of pineapple. And tuna. And your sandwich artist will write in cursive, ugh, on top of it before you eat it. Yeah, silent judgment comes free with this sandwich. <laughs> you don't, no, nothing extra. They're just going to do it regardless. And so from his invisible car, Bond sees that Mr. Kill uses his hand to open up this gate to the interior. So James Bond, super spy of the film, just gets out of his car and just walks up to a window outside and just peers in. 
uh, like a street urchin looking for something to nibble on. And stays there until somebody sees him. That's it. You forget that's what happens because in between those events, there's this scene with like Gustav asking Vlad about the modifications to the controls and Vlad's giving him this Nintendo Power Glove and he's like, yep. yeah, that's got a self-defense mechanism on it. Uh-huh. And Gustav Graves says, well, boy, I'm armed and real dangerous. How's this thing work? Value, you push this button and you can blast out purple lightning bolts wow just like in star wars a lot like in star wars yes but not just like on star wars it is star wars adjacent in the star wars he could do it without the special suit that's why we will not get sued in this one you have the nintendo power glove and i want to give you some secrets i built you a whole body suit where you can blast purple lightning bolts like in the star wars on everybody you will be gundam you will be mobile suit gundam by end of movie you have this <laughs> promise from vlad but that's what happens in between James Bond going up to the window like an urchin uh-huh. and, and a guard being like, hey, what are you doing by that window? Oh, shit. Mm, yes, this is a bit of a mistake. I probably should have stayed inside my invisible car. I should have remembered that I'm a spy. Mr. Kill comes out to investigate with some henchmen. And then Bond escapes by turning a valve on something that blows open a pipe. He's opening or closing the main drain. <laughs> A couple of henchmen get tossed to the side. He goes running around, but then Miranda Frost, she grabs Bond, yanks him off to the side, and they start manking out because that's their cover. Mr. Kill and what remaining henchmen would certainly not be suspicious of a man who looks just like the man that they're looking for if he was making out with another woman. Their attempts to obfuscate through smooching needs to be more convincing at one point, and Bond (laughs) tells her, this is the point where I'm just like, man, fuck this series, where he's like, eh, put your back into it and you're just god damn it this why does once a movie everything have to just be gross but here we are and then of course because it's a james bond movie as soon as he's like quit struggling and give in she does then then they go back to his ice room and they have sex on the ice bed jinx meanwhile who seems to be the only effective person in this movie until the end she's doing spy stuff right (laughs) she's like well i guess somebody ought to be a spy in this movie so she busts into the geodesic dome from the top and kind of rappels down into the middle of this place and she finds Zhao in the dream chair getting his face changed to a white guy right and so she's about to clock him and then moon from behind her gustav uh from behind her gives her the old shock and power glove routine Uh uh-huh and knocks her out we cut back to james bond and miranda frost who uh are just finishing up all their fucking and bond is like you know i should really do some spying while i'm here Mm, that sounds like a good idea james bond here why don't you take this gun and be careful yes yes that sounds like a wonderful idea you know i wonder if i have any bullets in this gun you know what let's just assume that i do you know i only clean and load my guns in virtual reality it's a bad habit i'll admit but anyway he says that he'll come back for later yeah you do that james bond thanks yeah whatever yeah you're not that good pal jinx gets slapped on a table and she's bound down a la sean connery and goldfinger and then zao does he have the power glove now uh no 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 graves has the power glove and he zaps jinx a few more times with purple electricity and then he says hey who sent you and jinx looks at our movie's villain and says yo mama Mm -hmm. 
It's all right. I'm all right with this. That's a line of dialogue in this movie, Bo. Jinx says, yo mama. Yeah. Again, I don't expect anything out of these movies. So when one of the characters is just like, yo mama told me to come kill you. She said you were a disappointment. And oh, I'm yeah. like, yeah, that's all right. Zhao leans into Jinx, who's strapped down on this table. And he says, I want to let you in on a little secret. The diamond mines are fake, but the lasers are real. Oh, wait, I've said too much. Yeah. And so speaking of lasers, James Bond is using a laser in his watch to cut a hole in the ice. Yeah, like a fishing hole. And as I'm watching the movie, I'm like, all right, this is starting to not only get dumb, but it's starting to cross that threshold from dumb to really silly. And I think the hole in the ice is the moment where I'm like, okay, this movie is just silly. I mean, if you wanted to take it to extremes, you should have unzipped his skin and just stepped out his muscle and skeleton and dove into the water to get away. Like, it's like he's going to dive into this water, swim under the ice, mm-hmm. and to what? Commit suicide? There's this whole thing about how cold is the water because some of it is a glacier and then there are also hot springs because none of this makes any sense. No, and he pops up and it's all bubbling and warm. Like, then the ice melts you don't even have to understand science you just can go to a a mcdonald's and learn that if you work the ice cream machine at mcdonald's you learn (laughs) shit like cold makes ice and hot makes ice, makes go, ice away. go away. Speaking of, we cut inside where Mr. Kill is saying, hey, this Jinx lady isn't going to talk. And Sal says, well, how about you make it permanent, pal? And Kill gets very excited about all this because he's like, hey, I'm not going to shoot her. I'm going to use the lasers. And Zhao is like, look, I'm not going to watch that, but enjoy yourself. You know, if you enjoy what you do, you never work a day in your life. Am I right, Mr. Kill? All right, so long then. And so he takes off. And this is where we see Bond come up in this boiling spring, you know, in their jungle room. It looks like uh, for for those in the neighborhood, it looks like the interior of the Opryland Hotel's arboreum. Yeah, it looks like a fake jungle soundstage. If a slee stack showed up. It would not be the most surprising thing. Bond somehow stumbles his way over to find, luckily, Jinx moaning and screaming as this laser is slowly moving over to decapitate her. That's right. And then Bond turns the laser off, but then Mr. Kill jumps in and they're having a fight. Hey, what are you doing? I'm Mr. Kill. You fucked it up for me. Yeah, I'm not Mr. Attempted Murder here. Right. I'm not Mr. Laceration. This fight is Resident Evil level silly. Where there are lasers flying all over the place. Uh-huh. Uh, imagine the number of lasers that, say, a Catherine Zeta-Jones had to snake her way through yep. and now put them in motion. Yep. And that's what you have here. And nobody's getting hurt by this. They're all just duking it out and ducking lasers and whatnot. It's all not very thrilling. It should be better. The ending of this is pretty good, where Mr. Kill gets the upper hand. He's about to, like, strangle Bond to death or something. But then Jinx manages to get control of the lasers and aims one at the back of Kill's head and shoots the laser right through his skull and out his Mm -hmm. mouth. Yeah, it's like somebody opened up the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah, that's pretty good. I'm all right with that as well. And at this point, Jinx says, hey man, I'm with the NSA. We're on the same side. We want world peace and we want to go kill Zal. And James Bond's like, "Mm, yeah, 
Yes, I just thought you were a strange piece of leg that walked up on the beach, but you've got credentials. This is the part of the movie, not the, the part, this is a part of the movie that I think is a, an extreme leap of logic, where Jinx says, hey, they've got this dream mask thing yes. that, that Zal must have brought here. Wait a minute. Uh -huh. He couldn't have brought it from Cuba. How come? It's not it that big. It must have already been here. And he could have put it in a box. No, they don't make boxes that size, I asked. And if it was already here, Jinx, then this must belong to another Korean. A northern Korean. I don't, I still think he could have just put it in a box and brought it with him. Or had it shipped even. And if it belonged to another Korean, uh -huh. it's nighttime outside. <laughs> right? That means it probably belongs to someone with the name Star, no? Moon. Wait a minute. It must belong to Moon, the man I killed 14 months ago. It's crazy. I don't understand any of this. As soon as he was like, he couldn't possibly have brought it with him. It's like, why the fuck not? Why not just have a computer monitor with the little transition from Asian to Caucasian with Moon on one side and Gustav Graves on the other? And he's like, holy shit, that's what happened. Don't make it hypothetical. Give him evidence. You put that shit in Dropbox. And then it's wherever you want it to be. Bond goes up to confront Graves up in Graves' office. And he's like, mm, yes, you lived to die another day. <laughs> Woo! Nice. That's nice. the name of the movie we're watching. They banter a bit more and uh, Miranda Frost shows up. And she does this very theatrical thing where he's like, good, you're here, Miranda. Now point your gun at that man. And she does, and then very slowly points it back at Bond, who's like, wait a second. <laughs> Why would you be pointing a gun at me? You're an agent. Oh, I get it. Why even pretend at that point? Why ever point the gun at Graves? She's a drama queen. Th that's a hundred. That's the only reason to do it. <laughs> it's just to be like, hmm, no, hmm. You get to see the cracks in Gustav Graves' skin here. Again, don't nothing come of that. It should because it's really prominent. Yeah. And then Gustav explains, back in the day, I helped her win a gold medal in the Olympics, and then I got my own mi6 agent it was awesome and wait what i love when he starts detailing like i used every bit of her uh that i could to achieve my ends her smarts her looks her sex her cooking skills and bond says hmm the coldest weapon of all and i was like all right well all right so if that's the coldest weapon what's the tastiest weapon of all <laughs> i realized that the tastiest weapon chad is probably that story about the woman who killed her husband with a ham and then fed it to the cops oh yeah yeah anyway yeah. so sure enough jinx is going after miranda frost because bond was like oh yes go go get her and then get her out of here and then we'll all escape why would a man chase after a woman unless he was going to have sex with her? Go find her and kill her. As soon as she walks into this bedroom, the doors close behind her and she is mm -hmm. now locked inside. And then we move back to Miranda Frost, who demands that Bond hand over all his gadgets. And he's like, oh yes, this watch that I use to laser things. Yeah. Hmm. And he hands the, the watch to Zhao, who immediately just sucker punches him. 
yeah. for good measure. He had that coming. Oh, sure. He's been poking that bear the whole movie. And then while he's on kind of bent down on his knee, Bond turns his secret decoder ring to bust the glass that they're standing on, the thing he got from Q. Thank God they were on a floor made of glass. You just get lucky sometimes. And so that sends him and Miranda Frost down to this sub level where Bond runs to Jinx's cable because there was a spot, an actual spy there earlier, Chad, who left mm, Bond. What a spot of luck. How does this work? Zzz, whoa, this is fun. <laughs> I should do this more in my off time. I'll have to ask you if we have this cable technology. Then he, once he's at the top, he uses it to run down the wall. Look at me, everyone. I'm running down the side of a building. It's as though I'm a spy or something. And then, speaking of spy, he spies the rocket sled. And fortunately, mm, yes. I, I guess they've gassed it back up again. I wonder if I could drive that. It's not invisible, but I'll give it a go. There's a nice cutaway here to Zal watching as Bond just jumps at this thing and starts rocketing away. And <laughs> it, it's pretty funny. So Zal goes back to Gustav graves and is like say general moon you're not gonna believe what happened with james bond what did he do now he got in your rocket sled and then ran away the yellow one yes. with the parachute yes dang nabbit i owe five thousand dollars on that hope he doesn't scratch it it's not insured and he says why don't you go get them generals and <laughs> So, Zhao goes against these, like, Chinese generals or North Korean generals, I guess. They gotta be North Korean generals. I guess There's no so. Chinese in this movie. Chang. He was Chinese. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then Bond is trying to get away. Yeah, he's rocket sledding away. Right. Gustav Graves hits this button that launches the Icarus weapon. Uh, the Death Star laser. Yeah. He is going to blow James Bond up with a ray of light as powerful as the sun. Yep. And it is burning the earth behind Bond as he is racing away from it. Mm -hmm. Talk about using a shotgun to kill an ant. Another moment I like here where Vlad, the engineer, just leans forward and goes, Oh, he broke your record. Shut up, you. Gives him this look like, I hate you. I swear, you say the dumbest shit at the worst times. It's a real read the room, Vlad, moment of like, this is not the time for this. Like, this is an after this is all done. Like, hey, by the way, you're not going to believe what happened when we were shooting Ray at Don't, don't say it. Whatever is coming out of your mouth better stay inside your throat, boy. <laughs> this better be some real Mark Twain shit, because it's sure as fuck going to be what's on your tombstone. So Bond is rocketing away from the laser. He drops a little ice anchor before his rocket sled goes off a cliff. The anchor catches and it dangles James Bond inside the rocket sled off of the side of this precipice. But because the Icarus device is blasting away at the ice above and melting it, everything's still beginning to crumble. So Bond opens up a hatch on the top of the rocket sled's engine. He pops off the hood or the bonnet, if you're from the UK, mm -hmm. of this vehicle. And as the laser cuts through the ice a side of this ice mountain falls down into the water below and it's like a good what thousand feet yeah it's huge yes causing a massive tidal wave and who comes windsurfing using the parachute that is used to slow down the rocket sled as the steering contraption while his feet are attached to the hood but james bond 
It is reminiscent of the view to a kill only like times a million. It, dude, the special effects look terrible through modern eyes. It is graphics you would find on your finer PlayStation 3s. It's really bad. It, it, it dude, looks... Jurassic Park was a thing when this movie came out. It's seven years old. They convinced people that dinosaurs are real. Yeah. This looks cheap. It, it looks like garbage. My favorite thing that happens in this whole sequence is when there's the cut back to Gustav Graves at all after they like slice the edge of the glacier off and they cut back to the control room and he says, global warming is a terrible thing, y'all. And the generals all bow <laughs> and Vlad, the knucklehead, kind of bows too, but nobody else on his side does. And it was one of those little moments of like, I don't know if that was an actor choice. Or, or the director like threw that in but it was very funny i think the actor just screwed up he was like oh shit i'm supposed to bow oh no but it, oh. it certainly fits because he's kind of the fuck up character in this he's almost the john crier of superman 4 not to get technical <laughs> chad all of our bad guys go down and they find jinx who is now trapped in miranda frost's room and miranda informs jinx that she had sex with james bond the night before which i'm like i don't know why jinx would care about that and her response is i didn't know he was that desperate and it like puts it all on bond of like he fucked you Ugh. all right miranda frost says well james bond's dead he left you behind and you're gonna die now bye-bye and so they close the doors and leave jinx trapped inside miranda frost's ice hotel room yes so back in the middle of nowhere the movie makers had to come up with a way to get james bond back to the ice palace so they decided to have a random guy just ride around on his snowmobile and have him show up so james bond clotheslines this guy with the parachute strings that were attached to the rocket sled earlier and he gets on the snowmobile and decides to zip back over to where our movie is happening he sees this plane fly overhead and you do a cut back to zao who's like hey we've only got one hour to wrap everything up and i was like you know what movie looks like 30 minutes by my count that's right well done by cutting all this in half and so bond then makes his way to his in stupid invisible car and remote controls it back to him and slips inside yeah but then immediately a snowmobile comes cruising around and <laughs> smacks into the back of it rendering it not invisible yeah right in front of zal who's just like say the there seems to be an, an object where there's no object so it turns out though chad fortunately zal has his own supercar uh-huh like this green convertible porsche or who knows what it is that's all loaded up with mounted guns and rockets it's, and it's all the same shit as james bond's car it's like if you were playing a james bond video game multiplayer and both yeah. of you have the same shit yeah you want invisicar or crimson car right mm, i don't know they're both pretty good i kind of want chain gun car because when he shoots bond's car it breaks the invisibility stuff yeah but it only keeps it invisible for about three minutes then you get it back because you're on the timer the cooldown dude this whole sequence of them chasing each other around feels like a car commercial that's just not very thrilling this ought to be way better because it's two cars chasing each other on the ice i will say i enjoyed the kind of callback to stupid missile acrobatics uh -huh. from license to kill where bond right. ends up flipping his car and he's on his hood and zao is about to give him a missile right up the tailpipe right and so bond 
hits the sunroof and then the ejector seat, which flips his car back onto its wheels just in time to avoid a missile. You describing that sounds so much better than it is, but I did make a note. That is a really good sequence of him sliding, the roof opens, the flip over is all well executed. It's real stupid, but it's good. Then we cut back to Gustav Graves and Miranda Frost hitting the palace with the Icarus Ray. Yeah, he's like, melt this thing down. I don't need any evidence about I was here. It's time to give that American her bath. I mean, I know I sound American, but I ain't American. Bond approaches the Ice Palace and pulls off this real sweet 710 split <laughs> by knocking down two guys on snowmobiles that are on the left and right side of the main entrance, and they just go in opposite <laughs> directions. Flying, dude, back into the walls <laughs> of this palace. It's fucking great. Zhao is following James Bond into the belly of this ice palace and up these ramps. Zhao deserves Hitchman of the Month. Like, hands down. He is committed to killing James Bond. Sure. Oh, they're both driving into a building that is being melted by a giant sky laser. From Zhao's point of view, he's also got this, like, super DNA or whatever that allows him to jump out windows and whatnot and be okay. Oh, really? They have superpowers? I know one of them doesn't sleep. Okay. May, I mean, a I little bit. I've only seen this movie three times now, but sure. That's how I read it, but maybe that's because I watched too many of those Marvel movies. It is amazing how little I pay attention to these movies when I watch them. <laughs> and and yet, you have so many more notes. That is absolutely true. Yes. Bond then, at one point, he stops during this chase because, as you mentioned earlier, the invisibility stuff is like, invisibility, now ready. And he's like, hmm, yes, well, let's throw on the invisibility. And then the tire spikes. Now you see me. Now you don't. <laughs> <laughs> that one not And then he backs up. And meanwhile, while Zhao has opened up his spikes from the front of his Battering car. ram? Something. And when Bond disappears, he's going too fast, I guess, to stop and just goes flying off this ramp and into the belly of the lobby where he crashes through the ice. And he survives that only to have Bond then swing around in his car and shoot a chandelier from up above to drop yeah. on Zhao in the water and you clearly see blood in the water to imply that this really smooshed Zhao. Yeah. He's not going to be able to get back into the regeneration chamber and fix this. Right. This is a real Humpty Dumpty situation. Yeah. And so Bond uses his thermal imager or whatever to find Jinx's room. And she's floating underwater in frigid temperatures. No oxygen. Just lifeless. I'm like, well, Jinx is dead. Right. Or she's brain damaged. <laughs> At best. And he busts through the door spill water and a jinx onto his hood and then he uses his dakota ring to bust the windshield out of his car to immediately get her into the passenger seat then he grabs her then he pulls her in then he backs up then he drives out the front then he goes over to the building next door then he opens up the door then he goes around then he picks up jinx then he carries jinx inside he tosses her into the hot springs then he gives her mouth-to-mouth resuscitation first off you should have done that shit in the opposite order right and then she <coughs> <laughs> comes to and has the audacity to look at the man who saved her life and said what took you so long cut to the south korean dmz where bond shows up with jinx who is totally fine now she's not drooling or pissing herself every five minutes <laughs> right not having seizures and whatnot <laughs> 
and Falco is there too, bitching about who didn't tell who what, you know, between him and M. It turns out during all of this, the North Koreans are amassing this giant army on the border. Uh-huh. And Falco, aka Michael Madsen, is like, look, don't even worry about Icarus. In an hour, we're going to blow the shit out of that thing. We're going to use an ASAT. It's an anti-satellite missile. It's going to blow it up. Bond doesn't buy any of this. And he's like, what about General Moon? He seems like a reasonable sort. That's Papa Moon, right? Yeah. And yeah. and Falco is like, oh, he's been deposed by hardliners now. Shit, hardliners. I like the sound of that. Do they have wet liners? Keep it in your pants, Bond. Yep. Pervert. And so he asks, where is Graves now? And they're like, oh, he's in the middle of a North Korean air base. Yeah, what they should have said is, who? What? Oh, oh, uh, mm, yes, didn't I explain? He had his face changed to look like billionaire philanthropist diamond aficionado Gustav Graves. He's the son of Papa Moon, the general. Like, what are you talking about? Let me start here. Did I tell you about the Ice Palace? Ice Palace? Oh, all right. Someone get me a drink. Jinx and Bond are going to be sent north together because Bond has to go do this. To wrap up the movie. Right, and Michael Madsen is like, I'm not going to let some British crazy agent go by himself. Jinx, you're up. Sure thing, boss. So they fly out of here, out of this plane, in these one-person gliders that they use to get down to an uh, airfield. That's part of that air ducking I was talking about earlier. I guess such technology must exist, right? But Yeah, like invisible cars and laser watches. I think the gliders are more reasonable than the laser watch, all in right. fairness. But in the middle of all this, Vlad is like, hey, boss, we detect firing of missile at Icarus. And Gustav Graves is like, look, just leave that shit on automatic. Don't even worry about it. We cut to Icarus, which detects this missile coming, and it just points its heat ray at the missile and blows it up. Isn't that what Ronald Reagan's strategic defense initiative was supposed to do? Remember the whole Star Wars program yeah they still have those and they're still not very effective i'm sure yeah i actually read an article recently about missile defense systems and how they are mostly psychologically comforting and not really effective brad parscale remember the campaign manager for trump's re-election mm -hmm. he called their mobilization of like marketing the death star right i don't think these republicans watch the star wars movies maybe it's just that the republican party identifies with the empire or the first order they're like, yeah, man, these motherfuckers get shit done. They build weapons. They amass armies. They blow shit up. They're always choking motherfuckers. Making people embrace evil is good. Yoda's a fucking pussy. Fuck that guy. Could we trick people into believing that the force is something that they agree with that we could actually use to kill millions of people to prove that we're right and that the rebellion's just a bunch of libtard snowflakes who want to murder babies and give free health care to aliens from the galaxy? That's called Protestantism. You may have to edit all of that out, depending what happens in the next few days. And we'll see. I'll see in the camps, in the re-education camps. Bond and Jinx, they see all of our bad guys getting inside this jumbo cargo jet. And this plane starts to take off. So James Bond and Jinx, they make a run for it and they climb up into the landing gear as the plane takes off of the runway. And then Gustav Graves, he's in this sort of viewing area in right. the plane. There are windows at the front, but it's not the cockpit. It's kind of an Air Force One setup where this plane has like it's got a judo studio 
It's got his meeting room. There's an arcade. There's an ice cream station where you can make your own Sunday. So Gustav Graves, he tells some flunkies like, hey man, go get my daddy and bring him up here. And so Papa Moon shows up and remember, he thinks his son is 100% dead. And then Vlad, our head of R&D, he has now turned the Nintendo Power Glove into this full set of body armor for Gustav Graves to wear. And so Bond and Jinx, they come out of the landing gear. They make their way up into the plane. And then there's a couple of sports cars and the aforementioned helicopter in the cargo hold in the back of the plane. And so General Papa Moon, he shows up and he sees Graves dressed up in this low rent mech suit. And there's also these other three North Korean generals, the ones from the Ice Palace earlier, they're hanging around in the background. I think they are the ones who pulled off the coup is the idea that they, okay. they overthrew Papa Moon and are aligning themselves now with Junior Moon. Two of those guys had the funniest moment in the whole movie for me. So Korean General Papa Moon, he is greeted by his now Caucasian British son, who he speaks in Korean to his father, and he says, Dear father, I regret our meeting had to be like this. And General Papa Moon's response is rightfully, What the fuck? Who is this asshole? <laughs> right. I love the fact he's like, Who's this white motherfucker? And it takes Moon Jr., Gustav Graves, to like quote bits of Sun Tzu from like Art of War uh that his father taught him and uh, and that's what kind of tells his dad that it's him but yeah that reaction is absolutely the best of what the fuck no i don't know you somebody throw this motherfucker out of this plane general papa moon says what have you done to yourself and <laughs> yes. says, he says come on pop i want you to watch the rising of your son see because the word son works on a couple of levels here both yeah. it's it's his biological son s-o-n and the icarus project as an s-u-n oh that is smart for this movie isn't that good i mean (laughs) if you're grading on the die another day scale that's not bad (laughs) gustav graves fires up the icarus laser and it blasts down across the minefield and it is creating a highway for the north korean troops to make their way into south korea so that they don't have to trip over those pesky mines that have been placed there and we get a cutaway to michael madsen's falco who says soon as that thing hits the 38th parallel hit him with all we've got and then m from the peanut gallery says well that may not be enough hey how about you can it all right we got it's terrible for morale we're about to potentially be at war with North Korea. How about you put a kibosh on all the doomsay in here? Shut up, you. How about you rally the troops a little bit? How about you say we got a chance of winning this thing? Jesus Christ, him. Bond and Jinx are slowly sneaking up to the area where our movie is taking place. General Papa Moon, he looks at, at the devastation that his son has wrought on the earth below, and he snatches a gun from one of those nearby generals, and he points it at his son. So we cut back to Jinx. And she knocks out the co-pilot that's in the cockpit of the plane because the main pilot left to go take a shit or something. So now Jinx is flying the plane. Oh, by the way, Bo, she's a pilot. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, except at the end when we don't need her to be. Remember when when she's a pilot for a little bit, but not at the end when you need a pilot? We then cut back to Papa Moon. Remember, he's pointing a gun at his son. That was thrilling until we left that scene. And he's got his kid at the disadvantage because he now sees him as a deformed abomination of science and... And And whiteness. Just plain old, good old-fashioned Caucasian bullshit of like, here's this white British dude showing up and saying, I am your North Korean son, long live the fatherland. 
Papa Moon says, you idiot, you're going to destroy all of us. You can't just start blasting shit with a giant laser. Do you understand the nuclear arsenal that the United States and its allies have? Our nation is going to be dust before sundown, you ding-a-ling. And then because the people who made this movie really like the Star Wars films, yeah. Gustav Graves goes full Emperor Palpatine and just kills his father with purple and blue lightning bolts. He has absolute power. But it only stunts Papa Moon. So Graves kills his father by shooting him with his father's gun. That's right. All right. And then the funniest moment in this whole movie happens. Mm -hmm. Those two generals have been watching all this go down. They just both turn and look at each other and they're like, oh shit, this is getting good. (laughs) It's almost like a double take if there is a single take. I'll have to go. No, I won't go back and look at it. I I will take your word for it. So (laughs) Gustav Graves now has the people's medallion or whatever that makes him the ruler, I guess. Uh, I thought he just took a medal like, yeah, I killed my dad. I thought it was like, this is the super general medallion. I don't know. But Uh, then Bond shows up to shoot him. But before he can shoot him, a guard kind of knocks his aim away. And Bond shoots a hole in a window in this big, like, viewing area. Everybody goes full Goldfinger. Right. Everything's being sucked out of this plane, including Vlad, who unceremoniously is just like, goodbye, movie. And yeah. And so, meanwhile, (laughs) it's a bunch of guards. It's pretty good. And the plane's going down and Jinx is fighting to bring it up. She's got to be shitting her pants. She was just flying a plane. Then all of a sudden it's nosediving into Earth. But she also knew who she got on this plane with. That idiot. Yeah. So she's just like, God damn it. He's going to kill both of us. Then Miranda Frost shows up. And some kind of assassin lingerie. It's a black tube top, white hot pants, and a single elbow length formal black glove. And she's carrying a saber. It's the kind of thing that very rich businessmen in large metropolitan areas pay a lot of cash to experience (laughs) that's usually punctuated with a stiletto heel right in the scrotum sure that's good money you can't take it with you (laughs) Bo. i mean why would you that's life experience chad (laughs) is what that is maybe you don't like it but now you know that and jinx put it on autopilot yeah put it on autopilot you and i should beat each other up for a while right and jinx is like yeah yeah i'll be right there hang on let me just turn a dial because again i'm the only motherfucker in this movie doing anything (laughs) so she angles the plane to go into the beam so she's like you know what no matter how this turns out i will destroy us and and thus save the day everybody's fighting right like bond and and gustav graves are are hanging on for dear life in this viewing room frost and jinx are duking it out with the swords and whatnot and the plane enters this beam dude it looks like the hindenburg going 500 miles an hour through the sky and i know all of this sounds exciting as we describe it it is so incredibly boring it's better than most bond movies i would argue of of the ones i've seen the problem is that the foreground action and the background peril somehow cancel each other out and you don't care about either one like who's gonna win this fight it doesn't matter they're all gonna die oh yeah but i can also sit back and be like eh, somebody sword fighting with a plane going through a, a sunray beam and there's part of me that's like ah, it's not dull it is not somebody looking up their ancestry in an office speaking of things not being dull not to be outdone jinx decides to take off her top to show off a green sports bra so that she can be equally as sexy as miranda frost and make this a real fair battle of womano e womano and it's just like flip flop off the walls and clink clank sword fights on a plane that is hurtling towards a giant laser blasting sunlight down to earth 
at one point Jinx throws one of her butterfly knives like this happened earlier in the movie where she has these knives on her that she can whip out in a a deadly fashion and she throws one at Miranda Frost who deflects it and it lodges into a copy of The Art of War and so Miranda Frost and Jinx fight some more and at one point Miranda Frost kind of has the better of Jinx and says the problem is I can read your every move that's why I will defeat you and then Jinx grabs this copy of the art of war that has her knife lodged in it and blocks one swing that Miranda makes with the sword with her little half knife and then stabs the book into Miranda Frost's chest and then says this is a pretty good one Chad she says read this bitch this is such a stupid movie Bond and Graves, they're still beating each other up. And Graves, he cranks up his purple electricity suit and he starts to really zap Bond. And then Bond goes down. And rather than just kill him, he goes over and grabs the only two parachutes on this plane. And Graves is like, hey, look, there's two parachutes on this plane. Whoops. And he chunks one out the hole in the wall. He's like, I guess there's only one. And then he puts on the parachute. And then Bond reaches up and just yanks on the ripcord, sending Graves out the open hole of this plane. And then Graves gets sucked into one of the plane's engines and he's gone. Which also stops the Icarus beam because he is essentially wearing the control device. They don't explain that at all, but okay. At one point he complains about the DJ set from earlier. He's like, I need that to be more ergonomic. But at any rate, Bond then finds Miranda Frost dead on the plane and Jinx says, I think I broke her heart. And he's like, damn, that was good again. Shit. You are quite clever. Even after losing all that oxygen and brain function, you are still very sharp. You're better than me. Mm. I mean, perhaps I'm getting old. Perhaps that's... I don't understand the kid's comedy. It's newfangled. And Jink says, well, looks like we're going down together. And Bond says, not yet. And then they open up the cargo bay where we find the helicopter, the Turducken helicopter that is there from earlier. Yep. And they use essentially this conveyor to back it out of the plane as the plane is coming apart around them. This conveyor belt goes slower than the one at my local grocery store. But let me ask you this, Chad. Why is Jinx not piloting this helicopter? Well, because she's not the star of the movie. Oh, right. She's a lady. And then (laughs) they finally get the helicopter started as it falls out of the plane. And then as soon as they get it righted, Bond is like, you said something about going down earlier. I assume you meant on me and then me on you. My mouth, your vagina, your mouth, my penis. Hmm? Cut to (laughs) James Bond showing up late night at MI6. Uh Uh-huh. And he comes in and he's like, well, everyone seems to be gone. Money, Penny. There you are. And she comes up to him and straightens his tie. And it's a real, hey, there, good looking kind of move. And then they they kiss. And then Bond shoves all her, the shit off of her desk. And it's an old fashioned office fucking Chad. Yep. And as things are coming to their fruition yeah we cut outside this scene and we realize money penny is laying on the ground rubbing her bean in this virtual reality and q walks by and is like money penny what are you doing there and she's like what oh uh you know 
these glasses and he goes oh yes it's quite hard isn't it and she goes oh yes it was yeah we basically just see money penny masturbating in virtual reality yeah that's right chad that's the point they should have rolled credits yes. that should have been the end of the movie a hundred percent but they don't yeah they, but they don't oh this movie is a coward chad they should have done it quite frankly it should have been more graphic and you should have watched it the entire time the credits rolled. <laughs> like you do it split screen where you shrink it and the aspect ratio is off. So her vagina would look even longer in the view. They don't do that because they're fucking cowards, Chad. And then we cut away to where Bond is uh, has <laughs> Jinx on this like remote island somewhere. On this hilltop shanty that the helicopter is parked beside. As you're approaching with the camera, the, the shanty, the voiceover is... <laughs> is like oh james no 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 leave it in a little longer and he's like are you sure just the tip and she's like no 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 don't take it out just yet and you cut inside and of course you know that well she doesn't mean his dick because see above regarding this movie being a fucking coward (laughs) if that were true chad if you cut inside and he was just on top of her ass in the air balls hanging down and she's commanding him stick it back inside me i will even allow you throwing a blanket over it so you can't see a thing chad you just see the shapes of them moving but it's that dialogue of just like no right no to the right yeah right there now now fucking harder 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 now faster faster and harder god damn it get in there that would have been better than money penny masturbating on the floor but if you had done them back to back chad (laughs) anyway but that none of that happens it's him putting diamonds in her belly button which is stupid then they really fuck and that's the end of the movie. Roll credits. What Roll credits on a dance, a club remix of the title song, which is somehow even worse than the title song. Like, they took what was already shitty and they made it worse. If it was even possible. <laughs> and it turns out it was. That's the shocking thing about life today, Chad, is that you think, well, this can't get any worse. And then it does. And <laughs> Die Another Day is the perfect example of that. The song is terrible. And then you hear the club remix and you're like, no, they did it. That is worse than the first thing I heard. And then again, they threaten you at the end of this with a James Bond will return. They don't give you a title. They're just like, look, we're going to bring it back. Don't even worry about it. One thing I've noticed is that with every James Bond movie that we have discussed this season excluding sean connery's performance in goldfinger every single one of these films have been the last james bond film made by each actor yeah and that will continue with our next james bond film as we invite daniel craig to this season's theme bonds james bonds as we are going to review specter the Last movie that he has made, barring the one that is yet to be released. But I'm looking forward to talking about Daniel Craig. I think that the turn that the series took with him is probably the most mature and stylistically elevated interpretation of James Bond across all of the different actors who've played this character. So I think that we'll have an interesting discussion, but nonetheless, it will be as completely ridiculous as everything else that we've walked through this season. I hope so, because I don't know that I want to abandon the outright silly 
silliness of this movie. You can't. That's James Bond. And so I I think that this uh, Die Another Day is incredibly stupid, but I find it watchable. And I'm curious if that's going to hold up with the Daniel Craig stuff, because I've had two experiences with Daniel Craig James Bond movies. Casino Royale, which I think is probably the best James Bond movie that I've seen. Yes. That is a very easy argument to make. It only took him 20 movies to finally perfect the craft. Right, to to make a good James Bond movie. (laughs) And then they followed it up with Quantum of Solace, which I have very little memory of because that movie is fucking boring as shit. And that's where I stop. So I'm interested, I suppose, to see what Spectre holds. I hope it is more Casino Royale than it is Quantum of Solace. I will say about Spectre, it is a real love letter to fans of the James Bond series and is made by people who really value what the franchise has brought with a few winks and nods and not so subtle references to earlier films. But again, after 24 movies, it's difficult to not repeat yourself in some way. But I'm interested to have that conversation. I will say that just when you think, hey, this movie might be too good for our show, just give it a few more minutes and it will uh, prove itself worthy of the nonsense that we provide here. All right, Chad, I think it's left to me to ask you this time. Do you have any final thoughts on Die Another Day? Yes, there is a very good chance I will never see this movie ever again. I am not a fan of the Brosnan James Bonds in general. I think that if I were to ever watch one of them again, it would just be a morbid curiosity of, hey, what's in here? But I'm glad they didn't make a Jinx movie. I would have rather have seen a Vlad movie. See what that weirdo's up to and how he constantly puts his foot in his mouth and screws things up. If it was like Vlad's Thanksgiving extravaganza, I'd watch that. What what about Vlad and Falco? Is that, maybe that's the the secret sauce there. I am Russian engineer. I come to help you here in the U.S. You've done it again, Vlad. Time for Falco to clean up this mess. Tonight on CBS, (laughs) 11 o'clock Eastern, 10 o'clock Central. I, I would watch it. Uh, as always, like, rate, review, send us an email. You know where to find us. Uh, we'd love to hear your feedback. I know all of that sounds like something we just say because we usually just say it. But let us know what you think. And we will see you in two weeks' time with the final, final, final episode of this Bontastic season of Bonds, James Bonds. Thank you for listening, everybody. Thank you.